You are listening to a Nerd Room Podcast, a member of the Star Wars Commonwealth Podcast Network. Be sure to check out more from the Star Wars Commonwealth on the web at StarWarsCommonwealth.com and take your first steps into a larger world. Hey everyone and welcome to the Nerd Room MCU Retrospective Series, a 16-month look back into the Marvel Cinematic Universe leading into a weekend of release review of Avengers Infinity War. I'm one of your hosts, Tim. I'm Troy. And I'm Sanjay. And this month we'll be discussing Marvel's The Avengers. Whoa, whoa, whoa. whoa. Marvel's The Avengers? That's what it's called. I was going to go, I thought we were discussing the other Avengers movie. Avengers Assemble as it's known in the UK and Ireland, to avoid that very confusion. <laughs> no, no, no. The one with uh, Emma Thompson, I think. Yeah, the, like, the Avengers one? 2008. Yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> That's why it's called Avengers Assemble Oh. in the UK and Ireland, mm-hmm. to avoid confusion with the 1960s TV show and the movie in 2008 of the same name. Right. Wow. I make a joke, but you just ruined that joke for me. Sorry, too. man. I got to drop that serious knowledge I on know. You. <laughs> <laughs> well, this is the sixth film in our MCU retrospective series, starting back from Iron Man in 2008. And it's a culmination of four years of filmmaking and the concluding chapter to Marvel's Phase 1. Now, this movie stars Robert Denny Jr., Chris Evans, Mark Ruffalo, Chris Hemsworth, Scarlett Johansson, Jeremy Renner, Tom Hiddleston, Clark Gregg, Kobe Smulders, Stellan Skarsgård, and Samuel L. Jackson, directed by Joss Whedon. Gentlemen! We're finally back at the retrospective table. It's been some time. We've had a real hard time <laughs> getting together to discuss the Avengers, but I'm super stoked to be here to talk about the first huge event movie in the history of comic book film. This is one of the biggest movies of all time, one of the biggest hyped movies of all time, and we're here to discuss if it actually lived up to that hype. And this movie in itself was important to the industry as a whole, but also important to this budding studio known as as Marvel Studios. This is where they actually had to prove everything that they were putting on the table. They had this extremely ambitious goal and concept that they had laid out in front of themselves, starting with Iron Man and building this cinematic universe. No one had really done anything like this before. And this was the film that needed to prove that a crossover event style, comic book event style film could actually work. Logistically, it sounds like a nightmare, but you're also taking characters from different directors, from different writers, and putting them together in a single movie, making them feel like they've come together organically, but also you had to make them feel like they were the same characters that came out of those movies. We couldn't make drastic changes. This had to feel like it was still all part of the same universe. Do you guys agree with my statement here that this was important for Marvel? I think you'll agree with that. But it was probably one of the more important movies for the comic book movie film industry. This is what really propelled it alongside the Dark Knight trilogy. Absolutely. This was huge. This was basically the blueprint in the making of future comic book movies to the, uh, of, of the state today. Yeah. yeah. I would, I'm going to say something controversial here. This is the most influential, not just comic book, but movie period in history movie in general in general this is it well recent history i'll just say (laughs) maybe not like history history but recent history look at every studio you have today everyone's trying to do a cinematic universe you got warner brothers with dc 
you got the dark universe you got the kaiju universe we even did a whole episode yeah. on shared universes right. and if the avengers comes out and say it makes 300 million you know like that's fantastic but it's not like earth shattering you don't have all that no if the avengers was just like a hit people would be like okay yeah move on good for them but this thing was titanic in terms of how big of a hit it was this thing was is up there with avatars it's up there with jurassic worlds I mean, it's crazy how big of a hit this was and hats off to them they pulled it off yeah it really changed the way that films at least franchises were constructed it's, it's no longer the trilogy type style of filmmaking it's no longer we're going to take a character and run through their own individualized universe this is all about building something bigger and this is a movie that proved that all of that could work. It could be critically successful. It could be financially successful. And it could make sense and draw in the audiences that at times, if you look back into the 2000s, they weren't drawing in the families. They weren't drawing in the complete spectrum of demographic through these movies. This is the movie that did it. This was the movie, for some people, their first introduction to the Marvel Cinematic Universe, to some of the characters like Thor, like Loki, like Captain America. People weren't going to these movies in the same type of volume. This movie did 207 opening weekend, <laughs> and everything insane. else before it was doing like 60, with the exception of Iron Man, which did just, well, the first one did 98, and the second one just over 100. So we're doubling the biggest movie for opening weekend, which tells you that something changed here, something within the dynamic of how either they promoted this or how they hyped this. This was a humongous movie. And a lot of it went all the way back to 2004. Now, we've spoken in the previous episodes about how Marvel Studios got rolling. You can go back and listen to some of the stuff we did in Iron Man about this $500 million loan that they took out with the promise of making 10 films over eight years. This is a studio that was now trying to self-finance and self-create movies when they had given away the majority of their characters. So they're kind of scrimping and scraping back all these characters to create something more. And The Avengers was always a movie that they had put on that docket that was going to be released. And that was alongside of the very few characters they had left, like Cloak and Dagger, Black Panther, Captain America. So it wasn't exactly the film that we got that they had envisioned in 2004. But it was always there was always meant to be something more. And I think that's that's pretty cool. When you go back to 2004 and they're already starting to turn the wheels about how this film and how this cinematic universe could actually turn out. And not too long after they had kind of got the wheels rolling on some of these films that they hired screenwriter Zach Penn to write The Avengers. Now, he's also the writer of The Incredible Hulk, and he also is credited for X2, X3 and Elektra. So this is the guy in 2007 that started to craft what the Avengers script would be. He's improved. Yeah. <laughs> well. What a filmography, eh? <laughs> yeah, he, he has improved, but Incredible Hulk, he was kind of pushed out by Edward Norton. Right. And the Avengers, he was pushed out by Joss Whedon as well. So originally it was set to be released in July of 2011. After the success of Iron Man, they dropped their full slate up to the conclusion of phase one that would be the Avengers. And with the films evolving the way they were, the, the script itself was always in a continuous state of flux. With the changing landscape in the MCU, the new characters coming in, he was, he was continually updating this. But when Joss Whedon came on to the picture here in 2010, they hired him to direct. He had some pretty blunt feedback for the script that Zach Penn had written. 
And this guy, he had written a lot of comic book movies, not the greatest comic book movies, <laughs> but he had some ties to this universe with Incredible Hulk, even though he did get pushed out of that. So, so you said he wrote X2? X2. So well, that's one of, like one of the best of all time. Yeah. So he, he does have a hit and miss and he was hired for a reason. He it was almost what seemed to be Marvel's first attempt to keep a consistent creator on board. But when Joss Whedon came on and he got hired on to direct, they gave him the script and he did an interview shortly before the Avengers came out. And this was the exact quote. Kate, lay it on me. There was a script. There just wasn't a script I was going to film a word of. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Laying it down. Yes. Yeah. So, so needless to say, Avengers went to a page one rewrite in 2010. And Feige and company said to Joss Whedon, you have the reins, you have the keys to this universe, to the most important film, with the exception of maybe Iron Man, that we are going to put out. They had three caveats, though. One being the film had to pit the Avengers against Loki. The second being there had to be a huge blow up that the heroes were against Loki with some sort of army behind him. And the third, they had to hit their new release date of May 2012. So that's it? Yeah, those were the three caveats. They said you could do whatever you want, <laughs> but you had to build those three things into it. There's also talk, I don't know if it's necessarily the studio or maybe it's even the original script that Zach wrote, but they did also want, actually, Joss actually really wanted uh, The Wasp. Yes. He originally wanted The Wasp in there. Right. But I think it's the studio that wanted Scarlett Johansson's Black Widow yeah. to be in that film instead, which maybe that's to do with Edgar Wright's Ant-Man. Maybe there's something going on between that. Because obviously, if you have Ant Man, you got the Wasps. So yeah, maybe something happened along those lines. That and being that she is it. a founding Avenger, that exactly. makes sense, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. And I think what evolved out of that was, from what I've read, is that Joss Whedon had the Wasp in there in a big role, right? And that was when Scarlett Johansson was a bit in flux as to whether or not she was coming into the Avengers. Okay. Or not. Oh. So yeah. they needed that strong female presence in the film, and I think Scarlett provides that in a big way, right? Especially in this film with Joss Whedon writing the, the female characters. But I think the Wasp was meant to take her place kind of and, and sit yeah. in that role. But it was nice that the way that it was crafted is that you knew all the characters coming into this with the exception of a few of the S.H.I.E.L.D. agents. Right. That. that you knew what was going on. I think that's what really helped people get into this movie is that, yeah, I said that not a lot of people had gone and, and visited a lot of those movies based off their opening and total box office cubes, but at the same time, you're throwing a lot at people that they're familiar with. At least they've heard from the periphery, Thor, Captain America, these type of characters, even Coulson, people knew who they were. Mm -hmm. And so it wasn't this huge barrier of entry to get into the film when they're touting this as this biggest crossover event in, in history. Like a pay-per-view event, (laughs) (laughs) very much so. Yeah. And the director, Joss Whedon. So this guy, he's, he's a, he's a, one of the kings in nerd now. He always has been. He's he's kind of been like this this cult hero. Yeah. Going mm-hmm. all the way back to Firefly and Dollhouse, Buffy, Buffy, Buffy all of this, right? Run. Yeah, he, yeah. He did the gifted run. So this is a guy that had only made his film, his feature film debut in two thousand five with Serenity. That was the only film he had written and directed prior to coming on board with the Avengers. So Marvel Studios was was handing the keys to the Avengers to this important movie to a proven director in tv but someone that hadn't proven that they could do a big budget film the way that i think they wanted it delivered so again you look back at the risks that marvel were taking early on this is something that star wars is attempting to do and not having much success with it not from a film perspective but just from an overall control but they gave everything to joss whedon and said 
It's, it's up to you. Everything is here. He's getting the writing credits. He's getting the directing credits. That's a huge risk to take on a movie that needed to land. Yeah. Especially, um, you know, Josh Whedon also turned in the script for Wonder Woman. That wasn't yeah. received very well. Yeah. So there's, like you mentioned, that's a huge huge risk for Marvel to uh, trust this guy so yeah. much. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it really surprises me hearing all this because if you go not that long ago to Age of Ultron... I mean, there's tons of issues there about control. Mm-hmm. And if you're Marvel Studios, this guy knocked it out of the park with the first one, made $600 million, almost $2 billion worldwide. So why take away his control in the sequel? That That's confusing. Yeah, I think a lot of it was that fatigue that we've spoken about in the past. And also that the universe got way more complex coming true, out of yeah. Avengers. And they saw what was happening. And if you look at this movie in contrast to Age of Ultron, this movie doesn't spend a lot of time setting up phase two right it it gets you to the end of phase one and that yeah the heroes disassemble at the end but it doesn't spend all the time setting up where thor is going to be where cap's going to be it's not really trying to see much because they didn't really know where the universe is going Mm -hmm. the universe to me is relatively unplanned at this point still because they needed to get through this hurdle they need to get through the crossover event and joss whedon from from my perspective what i remember hearing this announced I'm thinking this is the perfect guy. He's got a proven track record of creating a universe. He did. He's done Serenity. He did Buffy. He knew how to craft something from nothing. He has the capability to direct an ensemble cast. So multiple different storylines that are intersecting, running parallel, concurrent to each other. And he knew how to, to build the essence of a crossover. Like he knew how to do that. And I think that's why he was chosen was that he could handle all of these major storylines, intersect them, and also develop the characters to a point where you could see progression by the end of the movie. And that's a difficult thing to do, and I think that's probably why he's on Justice League right now. Absolutely. I mean, I think it's a great choice. Joss is going to bring the nerds together. You know, he's going to unite the nerd kingdom. Yeah, he always has. (laughs) Yeah, he's going to, you know, bring DC and Marvel fans, and they're going to hug and hold hands and because you can't i mean it's just just a wonderful thing and uh i'm super excited to see uh, how justice league turns out and part of that is because of how well he did with the avengers yeah yeah i can see that like he is the right guy for that I, to i think to usher that or shepherd that across that threshold he may be the right guy and i heard that they cut out lex luther so. <laughs> I, I saw your i saw your tweet and, yeah. and like we mentioned at the beginning of this podcast here you know this movie basically lays out the blueprint of superhero films yeah. and what better way to have the guy that ushered that in josh whedon to now bring him over to the dceu yeah. and get a second crack at wonder woman i mean it's unfortunate the circumstances yes what they, happened they, to yeah. zach of course, and 100 yeah. i would have loved to see zach make his movie because i'm you guys know i'm a big zach snyder fan but if there's anyone that had to take his place, I'm glad it's Joss. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So when this movie dropped, May 4th, 2012, this is really the start to May being a big movie month. And as I mentioned in our Cap retrospective last time, that was my first theatrical experience with the MCU was Captain America. But this was my first midnight showing and my first highly anticipated viewing experience for an MCU movie. This was hyped to... 12 for me this was i'd never been so excited for a film i don't think until we got the force awakens and all that coming out but for me this was kind of the start to my fanboy obsession with the mcu this was coming out of captain america seeing that trailer i was like this is this is happening and it's happening in less than a year so it was the first time i started actually following what was going on the 
behind the scenes of this, the rumors of, so this is really when I got started in my interest of following along a lot closer about the development of a film. And I remember just, I remember sitting on even some of these websites now that are much bigger and seeing the behind the scenes footage and seeing the problems behind the scenes and all, all that stuff we talk about here on a weekly basis. I, that's the first shot I ever had of that was coming out of 2011 into Marvel's The Avengers in 2012. And the shirt I'm wearing right now, actually <laughs> podcast, is the same shirt wow. I wore to the midnight showing of The Avengers. I went and dug this out specifically for this review. Still looks good on you. That's crisp. Yeah. That's awesome. So what do you guys remember about The Avengers when it came out in 2012? I remember seeing it in theaters, and I remember lead up to it there was a huge debate on which film was gonna make more money that or the dark knight Mm -hmm. rises which also came out that year uh me being a batman fan i foolishly thought the dark knight rises had this in the bag um but it was not to be and the avengers crushed it at the box office which surprised me but um i loved it i saw it in theaters and i remember thinking yeah like they totally nailed it the only other team-up superhero film we had before this was x-men and it's just different because with X-Men, we didn't get a Wolverine story first, then a Cyclops, then a Jean Grey, then a Storm. You know, this was the first time we got that where we had the solo films and then like, it, it, they're kind of like advertisements for the Avengers. So literally the Avengers spent $500 million advertising this movie and the gamble paid off. So that's what I remember. What, what do you guys remember? Troy? Oh, this, this movie is huge. So I, I've seen, pretty much seen, actually I have seen every MCU movie in theaters. And I remember at this point I was living overseas. I was in England. I took my, my four-year-old uh, nephew with me to see this movie. So in England, we actually saw it, I think about a week before yeah. it released here, which was a huge deal for me. So I saw this movie, thought it was great. Obviously I loved it. I remember having to cover my nephew's eyes when Hulk hulked out. He's, <laughs> he's losing it, right? So I remember us being in the back of the theater, uh, just going crazy over this scene. And then I remember telling my brother in Dubai at the time, how great this movie is. And I was going to see him in a month's time. So I went to Dubai to see him. I also saw this movie in Dubai theaters. And then when I came back to Calgary, I saw this movie. So I can actually say this is the only movie I've contributed through globally. (laughs) That's interesting. So when you saw it in Dubai, did they cut any scenes out? The shawarma scene wasn't there. The, 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 really? The shawarma uh, end credit scene. That that was added late. That was added later then. I don't think it was added everywhere. Okay. Okay. So that wasn't there. Obviously, Thanos still appeared. Yeah. Dubai, seeing a movie in Dubai was a completely different experience. Um, people actually serve you the food as you're in the theater, which was wow, that's kind of cool over here. But um, yeah, this this was a huge, huge hit, and I just remember being like, at last, you know, the Avengers are finally assembled on the big screen. Because even growing up as a kid in the '90s, you know, we had the X Men cartoon series, we had the uh, Spider Man TV series, but we never had the Avengers. We never really got the Avengers outside of comic books. No. So to finally see these guys on the big screen together was just mind blowing. And man, did it ever pay off. <laughs> right. You bring up an interesting point, Troy, because yeah, you're right. Cartoons, the Avengers wasn't there growing up. We had, you said Spider Man, X Men, but where was the Avengers? Even any of the characters, there's no Captain America cartoon, no Thor. Iron Man, Thor no, cartoon. They, they had a weird little run back. I think it was Fox, but the Avengers, they did this weird thing where it was the Avengers cartoon, I believe, but Cap was missing and Thor was missing and Iron Man was missing. It's like these other Avengers, these C-list Avengers, I, but the big three wasn't, wasn't present. I remember that because I had the toys for, I got Hawkeye. 
Yeah. I think I got it in the Target in the U.S. and but they didn't release that show in Canada. Like I don't remember seeing it's it really in Canada. Weird. Yeah, it's really never, weird. never even seen it. Yeah. Oh, like a really? West Coast Avengers thing. It, it, it or something? was pretty much like a West Coast Avengers. And yeah. even the Iron Man cartoon had the Avengers a little bit, but still, you didn't have Cap, it's you didn't weird. have Thor. Yeah. Is is really the focal point was X Men and Spider Man. Yeah. 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 Well, those were the ones that were selling the comic books, right? Yeah. I don't even think yeah. the Avengers was in the top ten at the time. I think they were kind of struggling. Well, Avengers didn't really come back until the two thousands. Oh like, yeah, in a big way. They had really dropped off once bendis picked it up issue number 500 and that avengers mm-hmm. disassembled and they went new avengers and all that and right. then it took off into the era that we know of like the civil war yes. secret invasion Dark and all yeah, that. yeah everything so that's when the avengers really got propped up again but that was still preceded this movie by a dozen years Wow. so wow. yeah there's there's a lot to build into this and you guys spoke about the box office this thing pulled in 207 million dollars domestically crazy. on its opening weekend this is a was the highest opening of all time absolutely smashing the previous record holder of harry potter and the deathly hells part two which pulled in 169 million dollars wow and it's the first film and it's it's hold this it'll hold this forever to top 200 million dollars in its opening weekend wow yeah. So now we've got The Force Awakens and Jurassic World that have pulled in over $200 million. Avengers in 2012 was the first film to ever do that. Wow. And it's still the highest grossing comic book movie of all time, domestically and worldwide. Um, so it's, it's pretty impressive. And they've yet to match this again with any comic book movie. And I don't know if they'll get there. This may be the comic book movie Avatar where it will never be topped. I don't think so. I don't. I don't see any storyline where this could get topped. Maybe Infinity War. That's what I was thinking. Maybe. Yeah. Maybe. Maybe. If anything has mean, a chance, it's, it's yeah. Infinity War. Yeah, yeah, that's the only shot. I mean, I don't think anything else. Loving your boys, Justice League. Uh, if Justice League makes half of what Avengers made, I think I'd be pretty happy. One point five billion. Yeah, yeah I, I'd take it. Justice League needs to get over that, that into that exclusive billion dollar club. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I think it really does. But when this came out. It was met with the critical and fan reception beyond belief. I remember people losing their minds about this. This currently sits at 92% on Rotten Tomatoes, fresh rating, and everyone loved this. There wasn't a bad word being spoken about this. Personally, spoilers, it deserves all of it. It deserved that hype, and it matched those expectations, and that's why it turned over this $207 million domestic opening. It's unbelievable to think about that in 2012, a film making that amount of money. Like I remember when Spider-Man in 2002, when it topped 100, that was a huge thing. Oh, 10 yeah. years later, we're over 200 in an opening weekend. Yeah, it just shows how important opening weekends are nowadays. I mean, you look back in the 90s and early 2000s, movies opening weekend was kind of important, but like the legs on those movies, they were lasted all summer. Now movies, you're barely in for three months and then they're out and they're already out on video. So just goes to show like opening weekends is that's where they make all their money is that first weekend. And then it kind of snowballs from there. If, you know, if there's good positive word of mouth and critics like it and audiences like it, it's going to shoot up. But if the opposite happens, that one opening weekend will be all you get and then it'll crash down. Yeah, these films are so front loaded now. And this one really wasn't that much different, but it did have quite a bit of legs because it was, again, one of those movies that was the first to take a poke at that May opening release, with the exception of Star Wars and all that. But right. <laughs> it, it really did hammer home this point that you don't need to be in July to make $200 million in the opening weekend. So not only did it prove the ground for a crossover event, it proved the ground for, look, the whole year is open 
for box office success. You just need to put a good movie in front of people. Yeah, and we're slowly starting to see that. Yeah, yeah. Definitely, definitely. There's definitely some advantages not to go in summer because the summer's so crowded. It's packed now. It's yeah. almost point. It's almost gotten to the point where you don't do it because right. you get one weekend. Yeah. yeah, and then you have something else on top of you. Yeah, mm-hmm. hence Planet of the Apes. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Coming after a week after Homecoming. Yeah, yeah, right? exactly. Yeah, and it kind of crippled that a little. Yeah. Bit. Yeah, yeah, it did. But when we're looking at Avengers here, let's let's get back on topic here. We've got the comic books that influence this. This is a film that's rooted in its story are the essence of the Avengers. We've got the big three that come into this. We've got some of our original Avengers members. But when you look back at even Avengers number one, you can see the story embedded in there with Loki being the main villain, his mind control and manipulation of the Hulk, and just how they come together. I think it's so cool that when Marvel handed the reins over to Joss Whedon, they said, here's the caveat, like you need to have Loki in there. And there's so many little things in this film that remind me of Avengers number one. It's one of my favorite comic books of all time. It's a little hard to read, but the way everything comes together, it just has this air of a modernized Avengers number one. And I think it's so cool that they're able to integrate that, particularly with Loki and the kind of that manipulation of Hulk throughout this right and even more so with hawkeye i mean obviously yeah. in the comics it was hulk but he still manipulated yeah. hawkeye which is so cool and it's so great too when you have a studio like marvel who is really trying to push like the original story as opposed to you know with most um studios these days it's the, quite the opposite you know source materials want to like the director wants to stick with the source material but it's the it's the, the studio that kind of changes it whereas here you have the opposite you have marvel studios pushing new organic marvel material yeah. so it's really cool to see that in this film yeah, and they also had the Ultimates to go from, too. Of course. Mark yeah. Miller's Ultimates comics, which was, back then, that was the most cinematic version of the Avengers we had never gotten. Yeah. And Zach Penn, the original script writer, well, the script that never was, <laughs> he used that as a lot of inspiration. And I think, when you look back, I don't know if I mentioned this before, but I have this like running theory about what this script actually was going into Avengers before it got dusted by Joss Whedon. <laughs> if you look at what he had written in The Incredible Hulk, particularly the end credits scene, we have Tony Stark coming to the bar and talking to General Ross. Right. And there's a weird interaction there and, a, and kind of an inference that he's putting a team together to chase down the Hulk, not so much to have the Hulk on that team. Oh. And they retconned that in the consultant, the one-shot consultant with Coulson and Sitwell, where they essentially take Tony Stark and send him to piss off General Ross because General Ross wanted the abomination on the Avengers. Oh. Okay. Yeah, I remember you talked about that. Yeah, in the yeah. Hulk, Hulk retrospective. Yes. So when you look at what Zach Penn was seeding there with that film, it looks like he was seeding what he was working on for the Avengers. So my guess is that he took a lot of inspiration from the Ultimates, which if you've read the Ultimates, you know it's this kind of cinematic, modernized version of the Avengers. But in the first run... Banner injects himself with a serum, the super soldier serum, and then goes on a rampage and the Avengers come together to stop the Hulk. So I see what he did in in The Incredible Hulk and I see what he's taking inspiration from. And my guess was the first Avengers script was actually had the Hulk at maybe the main battle. They were trying to stop him from rampaging across right. the city. That's Which would be a little, lot smaller, obviously, than what yeah. we got. But, yeah. but still, in a way, still kind of similar to the original story. Because it yeah. was the Avengers assembly against the Hulk. Very much yeah, so, yeah. That's cool. Yeah. And so that's what I'm seeing kind of in that. And uh, the direction that they go, I think it, it's much better. Yeah. They do get the reference to the manipulation of the Hulk and all that. But it isn't the focal point 
of the film mm-hmm. because I need you needed something bigger. You needed a cannon fodder army, and you need to have the Hulk part of the team, and less so uh, one of the villains, as he kind of comes to be somewhat in the Avengers number one. He does reconcile, but then later on he leaves. Right. And all that. But anyways, <laughs> that is history, and that's something you can go back and read. But it's interesting to see how they've taken probably one of the, the two number ones, the kind of the two tellings of the Avengers origins, yeah. and you see them combined together into this final script that Joss Whedon puts together. Because even the Chitari are in that first run of the Ultimates right. too. So they get oh. pulled in from the Ultimates universe. They're the Ultimate Universe version of the Scrolls. Yeah, okay. essentially. Yeah, and yeah. so they got pulled in because, I always thought it was because the Scrolls weren't owned by marvel studios at the time that's what you right. thought yeah. Yeah. yeah and that's why they used the chitari but right. it looks like it could have been that there's still confusion or they have bigger plans for the scrolls which yes. we talked about a couple of weeks right. ago when we speculated about marvel phase four yes. where it hills right. a scroll i i tell you man i'm fully buying yeah i'm think, watching it too just now yeah. Yeah. like i hope she is yeah i right? yeah. she's the one character that they could make a scroll that yeah. would make sense from the beginning that she has always been this, this secret scroll age. Yes. I think it'd be so oh, cool. I, great. I was watching it too when I'm you know watching this. I mean? I'm like, yeah. oh, like you look at every, like, of course they, they weren't thinking that. Of course, yeah. But you could, the nuance of the character, you, you could say, yeah, we had planned this from the oh, beginning. Oh, man, she's, I love that. She's always been embedded in S.H.I.E.L.D. and oh, it would be fantastic. Huge payoff, yeah. Yes, yeah. Totally. <laughs> so we always like to talk a little bit about the timeline before we get into the film here and where this actually sits amongst the other films. And of course this comes after all of the other movies that we've talked about in phase one, this is a culmination of that four years of filmmaking. Now, if you go back to the art of the Marvel's Avengers book that came out alongside of this film, they did a bit of retconning in there. And we've spoken a bit about this as we've gone through the retrospective series about how Thor, Iron Man 2, and Incredible Hulk all happen at the exact same time concurrently. And they wrap this up into that prelude book, Fury's Big Week, which has seven or eight issues of comic books that came out prior to the Avengers, which told the story of the in-between times where Black Widow and Hawkeye were, while all this was going on all at the same time. In the the Art of Marvel's Avengers book, they use the I Am Iron Man as the Battle of Yavin Point. I think we've pointed that out in the past. But after reviewing Defenders this past week, this is something that I started to develop on there kind of internally, but I think I'd like to officially declare for the podcast, if you guys are right with that, a shift in the reference point for the Avengers to the Battle of New York. I think this is the only reference point that is consistent among all of Marvel's media, whether it's television, comic books, or the films that is connected into the MCU. This is a one consistent reference point. It's either it's called the Incident, the Battle of New York, the Jatari Invasion, whatever. So from this point forward, I'm declaring the Battle of New York as the Battle of Yavin equivalent for the MCU. I think this is the way we should go. What are you guys' thoughts on that? I'm, I'm right there with you, especially yeah. actually coming off the heels of uh, the Defenders VU. Yeah. When you mentioned that before, I was like the whole time watching this, I'm like, yeah, this is that point right here yeah. for sure. And that's the way we're going with that. That's laid down. Do you agree, Sanjay? You're cool Absolutely. with that? Absolutely. I mean, even look at Homecoming. Yeah. yeah. That has played a huge part in that movie. Definitely. Yeah, everything. Like you go even to Civil War, it's mentioned in Civil War. Yeah, Daredevil, yeah. all that. Yeah, mm-hmm. everything mentions the incidents. All right, guys. Well, there we go. We're setting the timeline. We've established a new reference point. We've got a little bit of history into this project and what it was and how it came to be. It's time to get in to the film. Now, we've already started to spoil it, but I'm going to say from this point on, we're going <laughs> full spoilers. If you have not seen this movie as of this point, you just need to stop whatever you're doing. I don't know if you're at work, wherever. <laughs> go to iTunes, go to whatever, 
and just watch it. This yeah. is a brilliant movie, and you need to get into it. But we're going to spoil the hell of it. Going oh, yeah. even non-Marvel fans, even uh, just fans of cinema in general. You know, this is a film that's kind of like crossed all boundaries. It's like kind of like just one of those great summer action flicks that will, I think will stand the test of time. It is a timeless film. It, it very much is. Mm-hmm. And one of, the, one of the key things, too, that, that we like to sort out here before we go into this, for people that maybe haven't watched it, do you guys think you need the other five movies to watch this film, to get it? Uh, I'm going to say yes. Yeah. Okay, I'm going to say no, but you will enjoy it more if you do. I, if you just watch this movie, Cold Turkey, it probably wouldn't make a lot of sense if you knew nothing about the characters, but you would still enjoy it. Yeah. Um, if you, you know, if you were living under a rock for the last hundred years and I don't know, uh, people maybe, uh, and you just, you know, you want to learn more about the characters, then yeah, you would have to watch the other films leading up to this and you'd get a lot more out of it. Mm -hmm. I'm going to challenge you guys on that one. Cool. Because I think you can do both. I think you can watch this film in isolation, but as someone that loves the MCU and loves the idea of continuity and all that, I think you have to watch the yeah. other films. But the way that they set this movie up and the way that they've developed it and the way that Joss Whedon's script reads, I think that you can watch this almost in isolation. It's one of the very few Marvel movies, with the exception of the original Phase 1 movies, that you can actually watch without much background. Because if you look at how this movie opens, we open with exposition on the MacGuffin itself, the Tesseract. Mm-hmm. And which we now know is is the space stone. And the, the thing that, that blew my mind about this viewing in particular, like we go into so much depth about these films. I have never paid attention to this opening short monologue that describes and gives us some insight into the Tesseract is. And I'm just going to read a couple lines here from this, or maybe the whole thing. I got it here. So <laughs> the Tesseract has awakened. It is on a little world, a human world. They wield its power, but our ally knows its workings as they never will. He's ready to lead our forces to the Jatari. The world will be his, the universe yours, and the humans, what can they do but burn? Oh. Now, the key thing in there for me that I never really picked out for whatever reason is the universe yours. Mm-hmm. which is such a significant line. It's the first line or the first paragraph in this film, and they're making reference to a bigger force, to a bigger villain. I've never caught that before. No, not until watching it again. Yeah, yeah. No, I saw I, it three times in theaters. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah no, I never, never caught that as well. Yeah, so like, whether that was just my pure ignorance when I first watched, but I've seen this movie, like, how many times, dozens of times, since it came out in 2012. Yep. And I've never picked out that Thanos reference at the start of the film. It, it's incredible. I'd, I love the fact that you can go back to these movies, put on different goggles, and pick up different things when you're looking for them. And I think that's a testament to the depth of these scripts and what they're doing here. There's so much, just little nuances, little yeah, tiny little bits goodies. and pieces yeah. in there for everyone. And as soon as I heard that, I rewound it like three or four times. I was like... <laughs> How have I never seen this before? Yeah, in, Ken, in uh, Kevin Feige, I trust. Yeah, he kills it. <laughs> Definitely. Yeah, him Definitely. and Joss. So, Tim, you brought up an interesting point about watching the movie in isolation and then seeing the other ones. Do you think if Marvel had started with the Avengers, they made this exact movie, and then they went out and then they made solo films for each of the Avengers, we would be here today with the Marvel Cinematic Universe still going strong? 
Well, now you poked a hole in my <laughs> theory because I don't, I don't, I really don't think so. It's, it's kind of a weird paradox that yes, you can watch this film in isolation and get it, but I don't think you could start with this film in, in a universe building sort of film construction, right? I, yeah, so that pokes an incredible hole in my, <laughs> my idea of challenging you guys is that you can't, I don't think you can. I, I think you have to have those movies to prove the idea and to build the universe and come into the Avengers, yeah. not the opposite way around. It's, it's kind of watching the season finale first. Yeah. And then you watch the rest of the episodes. Oh, that's a good one, yeah. You know what I mean? I, I really think you got to go back to Iron Man and all the other classics in the phase one before you you strike gold with the uh, assembled. Yeah. Assembled. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, yeah. Well. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> now that I just shit all over Tim's theory. <laughs> well, it's, it wasn't so much that. I was, it was more of a challenge because I think it's more how much I like how the script and the narrative develops through this and how it, it introduces you to the characters in this. I'm going to reference it as we go through here, but yeah. the way that they transition from scene to scene, from character to character, as they spend the first 40 minutes or so reintroducing you to all of these different characters and where they're at. Mm-hmm. But it's, it's so well crafted that each scene links up together. It's not randomized about when you get a particular character introduced. It's actually quite organic and they, they have these character or cues that allow you to think about the character that's coming next and then boom, it's on the screen. And that's kind of why I think that you could get into this and, and slowly build without having the basis of the rest of the universe. But of course, I'm always going to say, like I, I know I kind of contradict myself, but I'm always going to say that that you need the whole universe. Absolutely. But yeah. you can watch this first and then go back, I think. For sure. Yeah. For sure. Yeah, yeah. for sure. Can't start with it. No. <laughs> no. no. Because I think you'd be kind of wondering a little bit, like like Hulk and Cap, you'd kind of be questioning these those two characters, like like why they're just calling upon Captain America now. Yeah. Yeah. As opposed, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. how is he fighting in World War II, exactly. but he's still here today? Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. We get a little bit of explanation of that in here. Yeah. yeah, a little bit of exposition about the man of the time and yeah. Frozen and all that. So you, you do get it here, but I sh- I'm gonna back myself into a corner with what I say here because <laughs> I'm always the one rah 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 continuity. You gotta do it all, and then I'm kind of saying ah. So yeah. <laughs> I'm trying to be a little devil's advocate here, maybe challenge some of my own thoughts. I don't know. We'll see as we go through this. But as we get into this film, we come off that that main exposition piece, and we crash into a shield base that is about ready to implode. And it's this Project Pegasus. They're looking for the dark matter, this dark energy. It's supposed to be a clean energy project. It <laughs> seems to always be a bit more of that. But it's cool to get thrusted into S.H.I.E.L.D. here because S.H.I.E.L.D.'s always been in the background with Coulson and Fury. They've been this super top secret organization that you haven't seen the size of it. And this movie really shows you how big S.H.I.E.L.D. is. We get this huge facility at the start. And then later on, we get introduced to the helicarrier. And right away here, we get Nick Fury, Coulson. We get our first introduction of Maria Hill, played by Colby Smulders. And we get Dr. Zelvig. So three of the four people are familiar faces if you've watched the previous movies coming into this. And I think it's a cool way to start because it shows that S.H.I.E.L.D. is so much more, but they're also playing kind of the middle of the field. You have the Avengers here. You've got Loki and his army here. And Nick Fury is walking this fine line, this this spy line, which we see further developed in The Winter Soldier. But you start to see all these seeds being planted about S.H.I.E.L.D. being this much bigger organization that can't be trusted. 
And what did you guys think of, of Fury, Coulson, and Maria Hill in this as your your main shield contingency? Um, you know what? Honestly, I gotta say this is probably the weaker part of the film for me, and it's not bad by any means. It's just probably one of the weaker parts. I'm I'm kind of just like, okay, we, I've gone through how many films to get to this point. Just give me the Avengers. <laughs> Obviously, it doesn't work that way. But you know, um, and and Tim, you'd know better here than I would. Um. It feels a little like Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. with a little bit more of a better, bigger budget. Yeah. Just from like the promotions and the commercials and the trailers I've seen, it felt very Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. But um, man, Loki, Loki's oh. introduction in this part just sets the tone to another level. And the introduction of Weir Hill is great. And Hawkeye kind of doing his nesting thing is yeah. cool. And all yeah. around it's a great scene. It just felt a little, I don't want to say disjointed, but just a little, a little Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Yeah. 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 I really love Samuel L. Jackson. I mean, everything he does is fantastic. He's one of the best actors of our time. And having him in here, as you said, the Ultimates run, Nick Fury is Samuel L. Jackson yes. in that. That's pretty much who they modeled. They, the, they, they did. Yeah, 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 yeah. So to get that casting is phenomenal. I mean, so, this stuff never works out how people want. And this is the one instance that it did. And it paid off in spades. He is the perfect Nick Fury Way better than David Hasselhoff. <laughs> I mean, if they brought back the Hoff, I don't know, that'd be kind of cool. He is in the MCU. Yeah. Guardians. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah he is. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, I anything Samuel Jackson's in, I love. And he's just been that backbone. He's been so consistent through all the films. I mean, he shows up in Iron Man, and he's mostly in Cap movies now. But every time he's on screen, I love it. And I hope he has a big presence in Infinity War because... In here, he was great. Captain Marvel, I will get yeah. a big yeah. Agree too. Interesting. Yeah. So yeah, I, I kind of agree with you there, Troy, um, about it feeling like a, an amped up episode of Age of the Shield. Yeah. But I, I like that because this, like I said, this is our first introduction to what Shield is and who Shield is. Yeah. And that bears so much importance into going into the Winter Soldier. That's yes. why it, it was so cool to see their first introduction here because it, it becomes such a huge organization. And here too, you're introduced to the World Security Council, which is another big point in the Winter Soldier. And you see the inner workings of S.H.I.E.L.D. and how they're controlled and how that eventually leads into what we get in the Winter Soldier and the downfall and the implementation of, of Hydra as being the controllers of, of S.H.I.E.L.D. So it, it starts that that progression already in this. We talked about at the top, I said, this movie doesn't spend a lot of time actually seeding the future the same way Ultron does. But this is seeding the future, whether or not they had it planned, but it's very organic. Like It feels like it's supposed to be there. And that's why I really like it. And like you said, Tom Hiddleston as Loki in this, this, this introduction, he was good in Thor. He is on another level in this film. Yep. With Joss Whedon's writing and directing, this character is elevated from a brother that was jealous and that had motivations and daddy issues to something that is on an absolutely different plane of existence. His presence in this film, and particularly in this opening scene, is almost unmatchable. Like the way he smiles and the way he looks and he's leaping off that with the with his, uh, his spear, spear and that. Yeah. Oh, it's an incredible first scene. And right away here in this film, you've got S.H.I.E.L.D. being introduced in a big way, and you've got your main villain and your MacGuffin, and you're on the road here. It's right away. They don't waste really any time getting you into an action scene, getting you into characters you're familiar with, and introducing your main villain that, if you've seen Thor, that you're familiar with already. Yeah. Questioning a bit as to why he's there. <laughs> but Yeah, yeah. I'm still confused, because doesn't he... 
He's like sealed Biden? away yeah. in the end of or Thor, right? Didn't he just fall off the rainbow bridge? But yeah. the end credit scene, we see he's kind of like behind something, like yeah, another he... dimension talking oh, to the doctor. Oh, yeah, right? he's yeah. like embodied the doctor, so he's controlling right. him. So when he says, oh, that's worth a look, or another look or whatever, right? Yeah. So, right, right. Yeah, so it's they've kind of teased that already. Yeah, and and the lines they give him, you know, I'm paraphrasing here, but does a boot have any beef with an ant? Like, yeah. that line between him and Fury, like, they give him such yeah. good lines. I'm just like, oh, how do they fall so far from Loki's writing to Ultron's writing? Because yeah. this is the villain I want. Yeah. And the way he talks to mortals, like humans, he's just disgusted by yeah. them. Oh, yeah. You notice how he talks to, like, people that are more on his level of power? It's a little different, but to humans, he's just disgusted by it yeah yeah and totally. i think he carries that throughout the whole film it's incredible yeah he's got some great lines like yeah. i've got one my favorite one here is he says a world made free and fury says of what of freedom right which yeah. is it's yeah. such a cool line right. and we'll get yeah. to it when they get to the first battle scene cool but my that there's a couple lines of dialogue there when they're in germany that he oh, oh. it is my favorite in the whole film and it comes from loki and a german man like it's yeah. absolutely like it just gets you. I'm like, wow, this is good oh, writing. And I think mm-hmm. that's a theme that we're going to pull right through this podcast mm-hmm. is the writing. Every single character is probably, with the exception of maybe Captain America, this is one of their best performances. It, it's, and I think it comes down to the writing. Yeah. This movie saved Black Widow. Oh, this yeah. movie introduced yeah. Hawkeye to a degree. Yeah. He gets a bit oh, yeah. better later on. Yeah. But Thor, Banner... It's and incredible. I think this is probably we'll get into it, but I think this is probably Iron Man's best film. Ooh! Wow! Oh. Yeah, that's bold. I got I got yeah. I got one to counter that. I don't know if we go into it now or sure. Or, or yeah. I, I'm gonna go Civil War. I still think Robert Downey Jr., Iron Man, and Tony Stark is incredible, but uh, it's up to debate now. Actually, yeah. that's that's pretty good. Yeah, I got some lines yeah. right now. A little further nice. down here, we get yeah. some nice. character introductions. Okay. Cool. But I, I I'm gonna throw it out there. This yeah. is his best performance oh. as Tony Stark. Nice. 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 So if it's again, it's one of those. I won't, I won't argue that. It's yeah. yeah. It's hard to argue. Yeah. I, I don't disagree with you yeah. with Civil War, but at the same time, like when you go through this, it's the lines and the chemistry. Yeah. It's it's fantastic in this. I found. Cool. It's it's one of the best parts of the movie. I yeah. Think, for and me. there's a lot of scenes that come to mind. Yeah. Actually, that I'm thinking of right now. Oh, right. Yeah. And you can de- totally tell, like the chemistry. You brought up a good point. The cast had this chemistry about them, and they still are like best friends. They're yeah. literally like the breakfast club like kids that got like left behind from school because they're in detention like they have that something about them or they just have fun when they're with each other it's like they've known each other their whole lives and it really shows on the screen it really does like you can you can feel that off the characters and i think guys like chris evans and hemsworth these guys are the ones that project that the most and then like you feel like you could be buddies with them yeah oh yeah and then they're on the screen as as the superheroes we talk about every week it's it's pretty wild oh yeah yeah now Theme music. We've talked about this a lot <laughs> in the retrospective series because none of us can hum a single Avengers theme. No. Or at least solo characters. Yeah. <laughs> what do you think about the score on this and can you hum the main Avengers theme? I can hum it kind of. I won't do it. <laughs> but the beginning when the Avengers assemble yeah, drops that's yeah, the crawl. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. Hearing that in the big screen too sets the tone. Yeah, right I love after, it. Right after Fury says we're at war. Yes. And then what do we, and then Mary Hill's like, what do we do? And it's just like, boom. Yeah. Blank yeah. screen, Avengers assemble. Yeah. And then you get <sighs> that, that swelling of the theme music. I'd like to hum it right now too, but yeah. I'm not going not to. Do it. <laughs> <laughs> Sanjay, uh, you trying to do it? Oh, for three on the hums. Okay. <laughs> uh, kind of, I do know what you're saying. Um, when the, when the title card hits and you get that, like that, 
that crescendo of like excitement. Mm-hmm. But other than that, not much. Yeah, not much. It's it's. I'd say it's other than Iron Man up until this point in the retrospective series yeah. is probably the best score. I would say so. Yeah, yeah. That, it's, it's the most it's memorable. Yeah, yeah who scored yeah. it? I have no idea. Was it uh, Danny Elfman? I don't think so, but no. it, may, it may have been. Yeah. I probably should have had that here in our show notes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, someone can find it. Just it, it sticks out to me because there's a couple times in the movie where it swells, mm-hmm. and I recognize it. I'm like, yeah. yes, there it is. There's the Avengers theme. And you see that consistently in the other films. Like into Age of Ultron, you get that. And I think you get that swelling once in a while in the other solo films as well. Yeah, I think maybe even Winter Soldier. Yeah, Captain maybe. America, you get Cap, a little bit. Yeah, because yeah. it, it feels very Captain America-like almost. It does, yeah. yeah the way that, the, yeah. I don't know if it's a brass or whatever, but yeah. it's there. And I I do love it. I really like it. I think it. it's great. Yeah, I'm yeah. Googling who scored Avengers. <laughs> nice. Yeah, on the fly. Yeah, fact checker, Sanjay. <laughs> here we go, here we go. Who scored Avengers? It doesn't say. <laughs> Studio album by Alan Silverstreet. What else has he done? The Avengers. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Age of Ultron. Um, what else has he done? He has done not much. Romancing <laughs> the Stone. And Age of Ultron. Oh, he did Back to the Future. There you go. That's a good I thought, score. I thought John, John Williams did Back to the Future. That Actually, movie... I know he did John, Back to the Future. Maybe he helped out. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Brown coffee. Yeah. 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 yeah probably. <laughs> uh, who framed Roger Rabbit? Oh, okay. Um, Predator 2. He also did Back to the Future, The Ride. There you go. Oh, okay. <laughs> Got some history. Yeah. I'm just going to check if he's done any more Avengers movies. Oh, he did Captain America, the first Avenger. Okay, I can the, hear that. The yeah. Avengers. Yeah. And. Avengers Infinity War. There you go. Oh, he's doing that one. Okay. Yeah. There you go. Cool. Well, we're going to hear this theme again in Infinity War. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, so one of the, the big important pieces of this film is indeed the characters, in particular our heroes. This is a Marvel film after all. Our heroes get the spotlight over the villain. And that contrasts a bit to what we see in the DC extending universe, or maybe more so the Nolan universe. And the whole first part of this movie really focuses in on introducing our characters and having them interact with one another. And the first one that we kick off here is Black Widow. And is she a badass in this movie or what? Having Joss Whedon write and direct this character, I've said it already in the podcast and I'm going to say it again. She elevates to the next level. And I think this is what we're going to see with every single character as we discuss. But Black Widow, this opening scene when she's with the Russian and it's, it's kind of a nice nod to her history. And she's on the phone. And she's talking, this idiot's giving me everything. And then she goes out and busts out this wild-ass ninja-style right. combat. <laughs> like, she's awesome in this film. Yeah. No, she kills it. You know, this scene you're watching, like, okay, like, we've seen this before. We know where this is going. And she just pulls some stuff out of her ass and just kills it. Yeah. It's so cool. I, I really like this scene. And just to know that she had control over this situation the whole time. Yeah. And it, it's so Black Widowed. And... You know, they, they really do her justice because they, they serve her a lot better here than they did in Iron Man 2. Mm-hmm. And she only gets better from here on in. You know, coming up in Winter Soldier 2, she elevates even more so. But right now in this film, she she kills it. Yeah, I mean, she's the most like us in this movie. Maybe Hawkeye as well, but she doesn't really have any superpowers. She's not, like, bitten by a radioactive spider. She's not gamma radiation. She's kind of us in a way. And she's the most human character that we have. So... Uh, she's really important to this film same with Hawkeye and they kind of 
they're kind of us because being a uh, black widow you might be a little bit in awe of the other people i mean i know i would be if i was fighting alongside captain america hulk thor iron man i'd be like this is crazy so yeah. i never trained in the red room so <laughs> i don't know i can't confirm myself to, to black widow here <laughs> well, it's interesting that you say that because as a character that's i don't know if she's incredibly relatable but from the perspective of not having superpowers she's the one that's sent after the big guy yeah yeah Hulk, which is kind of weird right and the thing that when we watched Age of Ultron, or when we will eventually talk about it, but when I watched Age of Ultron, I never really got the Banner Widow thing. But right. watching this movie now, yeah. and and reflecting back on Age of Ultron, it makes sense. They start to build this relationship right out of the gates here in Avengers. And there's a moment when he actually does Hulk out that she gets kind of batted aside, and she's kind of sitting there almost like petrified and frozen in fear Mm -hmm. and it's it's interesting how joss took that character and made her the one that can actually control the hulk later on after having this traumatic experience and i never appreciated that until rewatching it here about how important those scenes are and this opening scene with her getting scared by the hulk when he kind of freaks out at her about how that developed that relationship and how that evolved into what it is now so I have a much better appreciation for what he was writing there. Because when I first watched Age of Ultron, I was like, this, this kind of came out yeah. of nowhere. Like, where did this come from? Right. It's right here in this film. Yeah, I'm right there with you. And I think a lot of people were. You know, a lot of people kind of dismissed what happened in the first Avengers. Yeah. Because when we saw that too in Age of Ultron, everyone's like, "What? where'd that come from? But it's been there the whole time. They've been gradually setting up this relationship. Not necessarily between her and Hulk, but her and Banner. Yeah. And then the Hulk thing kind of exceeded later on. So, yeah, hats off to Josh Whedon for having that, that vision. Because mm-hmm. that's... I don't think it's ever been done before in the comics. I don't think there was a Black Widow and Hulk thing ever. No, it was always like a Betty Hawkeye or... or Bucky or like they always kind of evolved or revolved around characters that had history in the past during right. Cold War and all that, right? Yeah. And, and you know, it's so easy for them to go that route. You could have had easily had Hawkeye mm-hmm. and Black Widow, but instead they went this route. And it actually makes sense in the cinematic universe. So yeah. I really like what they did here. And, it, and that just brings that much more importance to the scene going further into the MCU. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. it contrasts a bit with having Black Widow to the original Avengers. But like you said, this makes more sense in this universe to yeah. have Hawkeye and Black Widow. Although Black Widow didn't become an official Avenger until well into the run. Right. She actually started out as a villain, which they do in this movie when Loki kind of gets into her head a bit. Right. So they're taking those elements from Black Widow's history and expanding on them and putting them in here and teasing us a lot for the future of this character. But again, it's it's so well written and so organic that I don't ever feel the burden of universe building in yeah. this film. It's Never. just It no. always feels like, okay, this is just things we need to know about Black Widow and this weighs into different scenes later on down the road and, and how she interacts with other characters, particularly when it comes to Bruce Banner here in the scene when he's in India or Indonesia or whatever he is. Yeah. So Yeah, it's uh, totally organic growth. And the thing is, they have to put these uh, growth scenes for the Hulk in the Avengers movie because he doesn't have any solo films. No. So that's the only place they have a chance to put it. Yeah. What do you think of Mark Ruffalo replacing Edward Norton? Because... There's a big contrast in character and yeah. style and depiction of Bruce Banner, I think. Personally, I think we discussed about this in mm-hmm. the uh, Incredible Hulk review. Yes. But personally, I think Ruffalo is a, 10 times better than Norton ever was. He fits the bill to me of Bruce Banner. Yeah, for me, physically, I guess physically, um, Edward Norton still fits the role for me better. He, he kind of, in my 
eyes uh, looks and feels more like Bruce Banner. I think uh, Ruffalo, though, he's a, he's an incredible actor and he's only gotten better and. Yeah, he's definitely embodied the role of Hulk a lot more. So there is some dialogue with him that is a little weird. Actually, it kind of reminded me of some Hayden Christensen performances in episode three. There's some moments where I'm like, whoa, that's like George Lucas wrote those lines. <laughs> <laughs> I hate Sam. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There, there's some weird moments there. But um, all in all, like he he, he he killed it. He knocked out of the park. It's when he's Hulk, though, that really shines for me. Yes. Yeah. That's great. Especially seeing Hulk in like the light, you know, as opposed to being dark. Mm-hmm. Because the Edward Norton one was very dark to hide yeah. some of that CG in the budget whereas here we get him full out in New York and it's bright and it's colorful and he's the Hulk smashing so yeah I love what they did with him there's so many breakout characters in this film and Hulk is just one of them you know like Hulk stole the show but Black Widow did as well Iron Man did as well I mean there's so many great performances in here it's hard to come out and be like he stole the show because they all stole the show and I guess that's what they're going for because they all avenged and assembled (laughs) I I, I remember coming off of Avengers though Hulk was the big big hit I remember everybody was like hulking out yeah Yeah. he's a big deal after this so Mm -hmm. funny like when he's punching Thor like when he punches Thor yeah and like smacks around Loki yeah that's a huge thing puny god my audience lost it when I saw it in theaters yeah and they really needed that for this character. And I th- I think a lot of it has to do with, you kind of like Bruce Banner in this. Like, yes. I didn't yeah. like Bruce Banner in The Incredible. I didn't right. like Edward Norton. Yeah. And I don't know if I was this harsh on him even in our review, but I remember saying that he never felt right to me. And maybe that's because I always felt that the Avengers Hulk was my Hulk. Right. right. And going back and revisiting that incredible Hulk, I just don't see the same character. I don't see the portrayal as being the same. And even when you look back at some of the comments that were made about Edward Norton by Feige and Edward Norton towards Marvel Studios when this was all happening, because originally he was supposed to be in this film. Yeah. Right. They basically said, he's not a team player. He's not coming back. Right. And then Norton, they, they kind of fired back and forth. I don't know if you guys remember this at all. But oh, yeah. About like how this was a huge issue. And then they're saying, oh, they didn't want to pay him and all this. Yeah. And they basically said, no, we don't want this guy back. We yeah. need someone that's going to be a team player. Someone that can be with this universe and get on board with what they're doing and not have this kind of prima donna, I do what I want to do on the set of Avengers. This was about a team movie and you had to have team players building into this. That's right. Because I, I think, wasn't the big reveal at the Comic-Con where we finally saw the yeah. whole staff? Yeah, uh, Comic-Con yeah. 2012. Yeah, I remember... 2010. 10, right? And Mark yeah. Ruffalo was there and I was like, whoa, like, yeah. where's Edward <laughs> Norton? It's, it's a big deal. Yeah. Oh, totally. I mean, and you don't really think of Mark Ruffalo as action star. You know, Marvel has this thing where they can just go out and pick players or actors like Chris Pratt. Before Guardians you never would have thought he'd become this huge action star and become super jacked and like being Jurassic world and all this. So hats off. They have this vision where they cast people that seem a little out of the box and then it fits perfectly mm-hmm. upon review. You're like, yeah, that's totally makes sense. Yep. But I think that's why Ruffalo works in this role because he doesn't stand well alongside of Hemsworth and Evans and all yeah. that. Like, he's yeah. not meant to be that his, yeah. his other form is that yeah. is right. the big Hulk yeah. he's yeah. supposed to be this kind of bumbling nervous yeah. scientist has that soft side to him yes. too that Norton couldn't really pull off no yeah yeah, yeah. he's always like standoffish I found yeah. like you never I never sympathized with Edward Norton's right. story right and the Hulk story is, is somewhat of a sympathetic one in the mm-hmm. sense that he can't control this this is part of him and he's always trying to 
get rid of that. Like he's never fully accepted until we get to the end of this movie that him and the Hulk are actually one. Right. And you should sympathize with that idea that he's got something inside of him that he can't control. And he even says in here at one point that he tried to put a bullet in his mouth yes. and the other guy spit it out, yeah. which I think is a nod to the alternate opening sequence that we didn't get in Incredible Hulk, but it's in the deleted scenes where he goes oh, up to the Arctic with a gun and all that. Okay, oh, cool. interesting. Yeah. So it, I think that's why, for me at least, that that Mark Ruffalo works so much more than Norton is. Like, I feel I can relate to this character and I can actually see the pain in what he's trying to do, but he's also projects this intelligence as well which Bruce Banner is supposed to be one of the smartest guys yeah, in the yeah. room at all oh, the time. Yeah. 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 And so we spoke about the, the World Security Council here. This becomes a, a significant but small subplot within this film. And one of the cool things that I just want to quickly touch on here, because Fury is interacting with them periodically through here. He's trying to justify the Avengers initiative, that they've got this bigger war going on, and they're talking about this phase two and all this going on. But the main guy that he's interacting with is a character named Gideon Malik who eventually shows up in Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Oh, okay. And they pick up this character later on down the road who turns out to be one of the heads of HYDRA. Okay. So this is all wow. retconning, but one of the heads of HYDRA sat on the World Security Council, and this, again, is something that gets picked up in The Winter Soldier. See, because I was going to ask you, actually, if Robert Redford was meant to be one of those guys up there, but does he have any affiliation with those characters on the council then? No, I don't know if it's the same people that sit in the background, because when I first remember seeing this, I remember them all just being, like, dark face. But yeah, you actually like see Palpatine. The, yeah, you can actually see the characters in this. Yeah. And one being this Gideon Malik. So I think it's meant to be, like, a rotating cast of people. Okay. And at the time, Gideon Malik was the head of the World Security Council. Gotcha. And as we get to the Winter, Winter Soldier, Soldier that Rob Redford's character oh, okay. is now the head of it or whatever, right? Right. Because um, Black Widow goes undercover as one of them as well then, Yeah, right? so there's the female that she goes undercover right. as or kind of with that face thing and all yeah. that. But right. It's, it's, they picked this up. So it's all retconned. Right. But because Gideon Malik showed up in the after the events of the Winter Soldier and Age of the Shields and becomes a, a, like this running villain in the in the film, it's cool that they've taken that storyline and kind of evolved it out of Avengers into Age of the Shield nice. and this whole Hydra thing. So it's kind of something I just want to point out that they continue to build, even though it's Age of the Shield and it's not kind of this top budgeted thing. Yeah. But they they've built out some of the narrative out of Avengers and kind of combined it with what they've got there and picked up some of these actors and said, look, we have a part for you over here. We're going to fill in some of the story. We're going to retcon a little bit. And yeah. They kind of plowed through with it. Yeah. And I also noticed that one agent who's... Uh, Jasper Sitwell. That's right. He yeah. makes another appearance in here. I think we lost someone in Iron Man 2. Yes. It? Yeah. He was in Iron Man 2. Oh, no. He's in Thor. Okay. Yeah. He's in Thor. He's and in then Thor. He's in and he's in the one-shot consultant. And then right. he shows up here. And, and then, then Winter he's Soldier. Winter Soldier. So I thought part. that's so cool that he's been planted there the whole time. Yeah, it's really, really cool. There's so much here. And yeah. the reason I brought up this World Security Council at this point, because I think this is the first major transition that we get as we go character to character here. I said, like, as we are introducing characters, it's really organically done. And the first one here is when Fury says to the World Security Council, we need a response team. He believes it's the Avengers and the Security Council disagrees and says, no, it's phase two. And he says, wars are won by soldiers. And then it's boom, right into the Captain America. Yes. Stuff. I love these little cues that they do throughout this movie. And of course, I love Captain America. <laughs> this is my dude. This is the scene we saw at the end of the first Avenger. Right. Him punching these punching bags and talking about a mission, getting him back in here. But one thing I just wanted to ask you guys. 
we get we get Cap here very reluctant to help Nick Fury, especially when he starts talking about the Tesseract. And Steve Rogers is probably the only living person alive, with the exception of Peggy Carter, that has any experience with the Tesseract. But his reluctance to help Fury out and to really put that last nail in the coffin and, and wipe out any remaining remnants of Hydra. Like this is within his arms reach here. And he seems slightly jaded by this new world he's come into because I would think that Captain America, the Captain America we know and we see now, would take any opportunity to finish off Hydra. He knows we won the war, but he's got to know that there's other Hydra agents kind of out there still. And this being a relic of the age of Hydra, you think that he'd want to get out there more and actually contribute. Did you find it was a bit in contrast to the character from the first Avenger and from what we eventually see going down the road that he was a bit reluctant at the start of this to actually help and join the Avengers? You know what? It's interesting you, you mentioned that. It feels like, you, and you did say uh, jaded. Yeah. And I think that's the prime example here because, you know, coming off of... Um, Captain America, the first one, I feel like even though the war was won, I still feel like Cap felt defeated. Mm-hmm. And he, he's woken up in a world that he just does not understand anymore. Yeah. And there's so many things that have been hidden from him as well at the same time. But, you know, you're right. It's kind of hard to understand where he's coming from exactly, especially with the, him having the best knowledge of the Tesseract. So it is weird that he's kind of a little reluctant to help out um, Nick Fury himself. So that is a little questionable. Yeah. yeah. Well- I mean, if you think about it, he's been frozen for like what, a hundred years almost? Seventy years. Seventy years. So I mean, he's Nothing come. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> he comes back. He doesn't know anyone. Like most of the people that he knew are dead, right? So he doesn't. This is a world he's not sure of. Think about if you were frozen for seventy years. So you wake up in the year twenty eighty seven. It sounds pretty cool. I mean, there'd be some really weird, messed up stuff that's gonna happen before then. But uh, <laughs> but think about it. I mean, it would be hard to sympathize with that world it's kind of like futurama you know like with fry when he gets frozen and it's just a different world and he's not used to it and he's a little bit jaded yeah because i mean he stopped the war but he probably saw that there's other wars that happened like vietnam war and the cold war and the korean war and he probably thought maybe you know stop this war with the nazis and with hydra that'd be the end of it but turned out no it wasn't so I just thought, I just figured like the cause is still there, you mm-hmm. know. Like he he had something obviously against Hydra, and he woke up now to have another chance to fight against Hydra, and he's like you said, kind of reluctant to do it. Yeah. So it's it's a little weird yeah. still. Well, f- for me at least, one of the themes that you see built into all Captain America stories, mm-hmm. and even through the movies here, I think is he doesn't know how to exist without war. He doesn't yes. know how to exist as not Captain America. Mm-hmm. Like he grew up in basically wartime, yeah. World War Two. And he's been thrusted back into this, this what eventually turns out to be Hydra War, this war with Chitauri, Civil War, all this. It revolves around him being a soldier and not knowing how to conform back into society. And this is a huge problem with actual soldiers. And it's reflected in here. So there's a little bit of the character right at the start here. I think he, they iron that out later on. Yes. But right at the start here that I'm a bit questioning on the writings. I'm like, this doesn't actually feel like Captain America. I feel like he should maybe question it because this is something that he does, the morality of things. But at the same time, you, you say Hydra and Tesseract and he should be like, let's 
extinguish this once and for all. That's mm-hmm. right. He does say that you should have left it in the ocean. Yeah. But at the same time, it's like, well, we didn't. Howard <laughs> yeah. Stark pulled it up, so yeah. we we're yeah. looking for you. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't know if they even necessarily wrote it for the audience to kind of hop on Capside to be like, there's something fishy going on here with uh, Fury. Yeah. So we're going to kind of write it this way so you're more leaning towards Capside here. I don't know. Yeah. yeah. And maybe that's a good point that they could be trying to create a bit of that what Fury's doing isn't right. Exactly. And with Captain America disagreeing with it, that the maybe you get on side of that a bit yes. more. But I, he always seems a bit innocent to me. Like even these, especially this early film, because they spend quite a bit of time showing and demonstrating that he's not really caught up with the world yet. Yes. That he doesn't get these references. So I feel like there's still this... Ignorance is the wrong word, but maybe air of innocence about him that he just doesn't quite get the nuance of S.H.I.E.L.D., which is what was rolled out by Peggy Carter and Howard Stark yeah. and Tommy Lee Jones's yes. character. So he think you'd think that he'd have trust for this organization. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, that's my only little gripe about Captain America. Right. It's a little weird here. But I love that we got an extra little scene of him being frozen on the ice. We yeah. didn't actually get that in the first Avenger. Right. Mm-hmm. And they refilmed that in here. So I thought that was great. I love <laughs> seeing one of my favorite scenes from Avengers number four, the comic book, where you get Captain America laying there tattered, all frozen up. Yeah. And I get the, you get the admission from Coulson later on that he's kind of there. He watched him on right. the <laughs> So fantastic stuff. And I mentioned transition points. The mention of Howard Stark here. And then... Our next scene transitions directly into Tony Stark, Iron Man. I said it once on the podcast already. I'll say it again here with a little bit of backup. This is probably my favorite Tony Stark depiction. I think the lines that are written for him by Joss Whedon, it's a very snappy dialogue. It's very Joss Whedon dialogue. But it fits the character of Iron Man. He commands the screen every time he's on it. But at the same time, he does not overload it. When he's on screen with the other characters, it's not the Iron Man show. Yes. This is right. this is very much an Iron Man movie, but it's shared. I never felt that Robert Downey Jr., his presence was too much for everyone else. His lines were good. They were snappy. But at the times when he didn't dial it back, he did. And that's why I love this. You get into some of the other films, and sometimes he overpowers them. And he can't help it. He's a fantastic actor. It's a fantastic character. Yeah. But at the same time here, it felt right. If The dialogue, everything was awesome. I'm going to have to agree. Sometimes with Iron Man, you know, it doesn't seem authentic if there's they're in a sticky situation and he's still cracking jokes and whatnot. But this one here, I felt like he cracked jokes at the appropriate time. And then when it got serious, he went down to business. And that's what I really appreciate about his performance in Iron Man and the writing in this. I think they just nailed the character so perfectly. And I would love to see Joss, if they ever made Iron Man 4, direct it. Yeah, that's cool. That's cool. No, you bring up a good point. His dialogue here is is it's it's great. You know, sometimes in the other movies it feels very Bendis like, where you know he's always joking in matters where it's like he shouldn't be. Exactly. Iron Man yeah. three. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yes, prime example right there. But here yeah. he's great from the minute we see him. You know, one of my favorite scenes is actually when he walks into the um, I think it's the helicarrier. Yes. Yeah. And he's just going off like before he even gets into the scene. If you watch in the background, you can see him walking in, and he's just already calling the shots about everything. And he just I think someone's like, when did you become? Um, 
what was it? When did you become an expert in whatever it was? Yeah, and he's oh, like yesterday yeah. Yeah. or last night, and he's just killing it. And he's just running the show, and I'm just watching this guy like, wow, he commands the screen here. It's so good. It's one of my favorite scenes. Yeah, in the yeah. film of his, and that's just Tony Stark. He's not even in the suit at that point. Yeah, I got it right here. In my nose. I yeah. love that. Yeah. Yeah. Just the fury thing with the eye. Like, how yes, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Thor point break. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I love that when he calls. Yeah, because yeah. uh, call it to a uh, Patrick. Uh, it was Patrick Swayze. Yeah. Right? Oh, I love totally. that. That's great. That guy over there was playing Galaga. Oh, yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah, he, he's Ranger great. Ranger games for Loki. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. The whole Shakespeare yeah, in the Park yeah. thing. Yeah, he's Does Doth Mother know you wear her drapes? Yeah. 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 Well, in other movies, that stuff could have come off as being campy or dumb. Right. But in this, for whatever reason, it works being delivered by Robert Downey Jr. Yeah. Like I, I, all of that is excellent. And when he, when him and Bruce Banner are interacting, he's poking at him. Oh yeah. He's talking about the raging green monster, and he's yeah. like, "I love what you do. I love your work. I love how you turn into a raging green monster." Right. Like it's the dialogue is. I love it. it. It's it's great, especially when him and Cap first are uh, first meet. Yeah. And you know, I think Cap just says Mr. Stark, and Tony just says Cap. Yeah. And it's just two little words, but it just goes so far, just the way it's delivered. Mm-hmm. Love oh yeah. It. Their yeah. their whole interaction throughout this is again. Maybe they weren't pointing in this direction at this point in time, but they've done something right here because you get them working together sometimes, but you really get them butting yes. heads at the same time. And I'm just wanting yeah. Civil War. From the minute I've seen these two, I'm like, I want Civil War. <laughs> Put on the suit. Put on the suit. Yeah. yeah. Love it. Let's go for one round. Where right. are you? Like, and then talking about like everything great about you came out of a bottle and yeah. all this. Like, yeah. yeah. Like the insults that get tossed around and sometimes they work together. And at one point, uh, Iron Man relinquishes the leadership of the team to Cap yes. during the final battle. Right. Like there's a lot that they build in here. And yes, we're going back and analyzing this with the hindsight of Civil War and Age mm-hmm. of Ultron and all that. But this, like we said, like we could continue to say, this was all seated in there without you really focusing in on it. It's very subtle, and it all comes down to how the characters are written and how they're interacting at particular moments. Yes. Because you come out of some of the insults here, and then they go right to working together. Yeah. And then you go back to insults, and then they go back to the final battles. That's right. This is back and forth. And this is a relationship that you see with Captain America and Iron Man through the entirety of the MCU going forward. That's right. Is that they agree on the big things, and they disagree on how things should be done. Yeah. Because even when we get here when Loki arrives or sorry when thor arrives and they're on the jet with loki and loki gets taken out by thor and then all of a sudden iron man's like i'm putting my helmet on going and cap says we need a plan and he says i have a plan attack yeah Yeah. so the divergence there already on how they approach the fundamentally the the same goal that they're trying to get at but they come at it from completely different directions Mm -hmm. and just i I love all of that and everything with iron man in here is top notch incredible yeah you mentioned a scene it has one of my favorite lines in it when Black Widow's like, careful, Cap. These guys come from legend. Like, they're practically gods. And then typical Cap's like, there's only one god, ma'am. And I'm pretty sure he doesn't dress like that. Yeah. <laughs> and he does his classic, you know, jump out of the plane with no yeah. parachute. Okay, I never, <laughs> never stays in a plane. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and briefly in here, we also had Tony Stark and Pepper Potts. Yes. And one of the big complaints we had from Iron Man 2 was their chemistry was way off. Iron Man 1, it felt great. Iron Man 2, it felt like a completely different movie and two different people acting. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But we're back to it here. This very brief scene that we have with Pepper Potts really humanizes Tony Stark. More so than, I think, even Iron Man and Iron Man 2. This puts him on, again, another plane for this character. We've seen the development of him and coming into someone that he cares about here. And I think there's there's so much importance into that to this very small scene that shows who Tony Stark has become because 
I'll get into it later, but I think that they kind of go back and forth with Iron Man's develop throughout the whole MCU. But in this movie itself, he goes a long way to even to the self-sacrifice, right? Where he's very cocky and all that. And Pepper Potts is, I think you need that for this character. You need to have some sort of reliance on humanizing him before he gets into this self-sacrifice. And that's an important seed for this part of the movie for what we see later on when he grabs the nuke and shoves it up the ass of the portal, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and also in this scene, one thing I really, again, I love the continuity and all that, but Phil Coulson's here and he talks about the cellist. Oh, okay. Um, that's picked up in Agent's Shield as well. So we get to meet the cellist. Okay, it's his, cool. His girlfriend in Portland or whatever. Cool. So she's the subject of one of the episodes in season one. Nice. <laughs> nice. So again, building in that continuity. <laughs> well, I'm not sure how he came back. Because like... They explain it all oh, in okay. Agent's uh, Shield. Sh- should I watch that? Uh, no. <laughs> like, it's, it's, it's fine. Basically, they have a machine that picks his brain, fixes him, and then they pump him full of kind of like Cree blood oh, or something. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Maybe it's actually really cool. Actually, yeah. it's like the Cree from the Guardians, and they've gotten they found one on Earth, and they kind of extract some sort of oh, serum and they like dump Ms. it into Marvel him. Marvel him up. Yeah, and they <laughs> screw with his brain because he's not supposed to be able to remember it. And it's anyways, it's oh. a whole big thing and a whole big reveal on Agents of Shield that season two or something like that okay. but it's, it's actually a cool build because you're always kind of curious like how did this guy come back to life right. yeah he does come back to life maybe eventually. he's a uh, scroll i don't think so no unless no. we found out mary maria hill yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right so we talked about the interaction of the characters here we've gotten through the majority of the characters with the exception of thor but before we get thor we get the helicarrier yes this introduction the cg on this this is awesome and seeing on the big screen what do you guys think of the helicarrier <sighs> This is mind-blowing. You know, we got our introductions of all these other characters, and I think it's only fair to say that the helicarrier helicarrier itself was treated like a character. Mm -hmm. It was introduced like a character. That was fantastic. And you're right. Seeing this thing on the big screen was unreal. And then when it does the whole Invisible Woman thing with the jet, and it goes invisible, or Wonder Woman invisible jet, um, I I just thought it was cool. It was so good. The effects are incredible. Yeah, no, I totally agree. I mean, I didn't know how they were going to be able to pull this off because the helicarrier is this huge, massive ship. It's pretty much like a skyscraper. And to see them, you know, raise it up and have it flying around was just something that I never thought I'd get to see on the screen. And they brought it to life and it looks fantastic. And again, it shows this idea that S.H.I.E.L.D. is so much bigger than we originally anticipated to be. Yeah. And this thing floating in the sky, this floating city that becomes the subject of this huge battle later on. Ah, oh, love the introduction here. And even the, the line from Banner about it being a submarine and this oh. is not a good idea. And then it floats up and then Rogers tosses the, the bet, the $10 yeah, bet. Oh, I love that. It doesn't hesitate, but it's so casual how they yeah. do it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. so good. It's it's almost like a joke that was just made up on set. And yeah. It's something that's come out in the lines later on. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> how much do you think that thing would cost? A billion dollars? Oh, yeah. That thing. At least? Probably even more. Yeah. I don't even yeah. think it could actually physically float. I, I doubt it. Yeah. <laughs> just like spinning turbines. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you mean you can't use that to the big uh, U.S. helicarrier ships that they have in the Army? Not helicarrier, but the U.S. like aircraft ship? carriers? Yeah, aircraft carrier ships. No, I don't think. This thing's barely float. <laughs> Um, but coming out of the, this introduction of the helicarrier, we get Loki and we get our first battle with Loki. We get the Avengers partially assembling for the first time. Captain America and Black Widow are sent out to extract Loki from a German setting. And this is probably my favorite part about Loki's dialogue in this whole film. He It's, it's quite an intense scene, actually, with the classical music playing. He extracts the eyeball from this guy. And then he walks out into his, in his full garb and all that. 
and he starts demanding that people kneel and kneel before him. And he's kind of doing the cool Loki where he multiplies and all that. And there's this line here that I absolutely love. And it goes, you're made to be ruled. And then there's one man, a German man that stands up behind him and says, not by men like you. There are always men like you. And then you have the appearance of Captain America. Like just all of that wrapped up into a small scene where you have essentially a man that was around during World War II referring to Adolf Hitler. And you've got Captain America who fought the Nazis during World War II showing up and blocking the blast from Loki. This scene in itself, the way it was crafted, it's probably one of my favorite scenes in this whole film. Yeah, no, it's it's powerful. I'm a I'm a big sucker for any set piece or action pieces with classical music yeah. in the background. <laughs> it worked for me with uh, Spectacular Spider-Man. I think even Amazing Spider-Man One when he's fighting the lizard and stands yeah. wearing class. I love when they do those kinds of things. So this scene was great. It really shows um, the, the the power and the level that Loki's at, and it, it's just a powerful scene between that mm-hmm. man and Loki, and then Cap's the one to come there and deflect it. So I really like this scene. It's great. Yeah, very emotional. Mm-hmm. And for you know, if you go from an outsider's point of view, you think it's just the Avengers, it's just these superheroes fighting aliens. But no, I mean, this is the emotional, the most emotional scene maybe of the whole movie. Yeah, it is. It's close to other than maybe. Tony Stark self-sacrifice, but mm-hmm. for me, I agree. Like that, that carries a lot of weight. Like yes. I, World War Two for me, for whatever reason, it's because of of what fell out of it and what happened and the atrocities during it. I, I find that as such a pivotal point in Earth's history and the world's humans' history mm-hmm. that having a reference here and done right and respectfully, that's really important to me. And I think this captures what they're doing without glorifying what happened. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like it's, mm-hmm. it's, a, it's a lot of, of careful referencing to significant events Yeah. and they do it right. And I think that's, what's important about it. Speaking of doing it right, who did it best? Loki's <laughs> kneel before me or Zod kneel before oh, me? Oh, Zod. Come on. Zod came before years before. <laughs> <laughs> what do you guys think of Cap's suit? This is the oh. first introduction of Cap's suit besides promotions and trailers. I, I will say this. As, as glad as I am to see Joss Sweden join the Justice League, I am certainly glad that Zack Snyder was in charge of costume design. <laughs> 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 well, the, the lady, I think her name is Alexandra something or other. She did do Avengers 2 and 1, and I think Thor. She did a lot of costume designs. Some were hits, some were a miss, uh, much like Caps here. It's, yeah. it's, it's pretty bad. I, I think have... this would be consistently the biggest gripe that anyone has about this film is Captain America's right. outfit. For sure. <laughs> I actually For didn't sure. dig Thor's either. I thought it didn't look like grandiose enough. Yeah, it doesn't. It doesn't look, look too warrior bound. It looks a little too like presentable. I feel mm-hmm. like it should be a little more like well, mythical. Well, I think what they did there too with Thor is that they peeled off the armor and all that. Yeah. To make it kind of as a reference back to the comic books. Right. Oh, um, okay. So like, he eventually, he puts on the armor. Yeah, the, towards the end. Yeah, of the fight. towards the end of the fight. Yeah. But he doesn't wear a helmet, does he? No, no never. He, he doesn't wear a helmet until Ragnarok. Yeah. <laughs> he just has longer hair in this one though. Yeah. It's yeah. Longer than um, the first one. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. The, the funny thing about the suit, too, was, yeah, it looks awful. But <laughs> in all the promo material, his ears are cut out, so it yeah. looks better. It's because it looks like he's wearing 
a freaking biker helmet. <laughs> <laughs> like that's the problem with it. I think yeah. Yeah, it's a bit too blue. Yeah. But I think if yeah. he had the normal helmet on, like the one that he wears in all the films now, yeah, it would be fine. It'd be a lot better. And, oh, and just yeah. the ones some browns, like he has like a belt that's brown, and like the gloves yeah. sometimes are brown. But like you said, it's just a lot of blue, not enough white. Like normally he has like yeah. white all around the, the bicep and tricep. But... Right. That's what you get for letting Coulson design your outfit. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, it kind of works in a way that it's kind of meant to be campy in a way because when you go back to uh, Homecoming now they kind of play off that suit yeah. without saying it like it's kind of a campier looking mm, right. cap suit in a way like, even like mascot lake yeah it's even referenced by Coulson too that they kind of need some of that red white and blue yes right because yeah. Cap makes reference to the idea that this suit doesn't really work in this day and age and yeah he kind of says well yes it does maybe not to that degree and that's still why the Winter Soldier suit's my favorite yes still suit oh, 100% but it, um, it's funny because I, all the promo material, like all the clip art and everything from yeah. the action figures and all that, he's got his ears out. Yeah. I don't know why they decided to slap them on. Whatever. Yeah. Small <laughs> point, small sticking point. If that's the worst part of your movie, it's a pretty good movie. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and it's this scene too here uh, that we get the one-on-one with Loki and Captain America. Everyone kind of gets a one-on-one with Loki at some point in the movie and it kicks off here with Captain America. Then he's joined by our dude, Iron Man coming into the ACDC yeah. and we're getting just this nice moment with the two of them as you already kind of referenced there with the, the acknowledgement of each other. And they capture Loki or he seems to let himself be captured. Mm-hmm. And this is really when we get the introduction of, of Thor, God of Thunder. And I love the way that they bring him into this film. Again, it's, it's about organically bringing in a character. The presence of Loki allows you to have Thor come into this. You don't have Thor wandering around and for whatever reason, showing up and shaking Nick Fury's hand. He comes in to get his brother and the Tesseract. And it's great what they do here when they come out of this scene. We've got the big three finally interacting and this fight that comes out of it. This was in the trailers, this standoff between the three of them and the drop your hammer and the shield. This this fight, this is the way to do it. If you're going to introduce all three of these characters together, it's great that they're not on the same page. This is about putting people into a room and putting them on a team that have no business being together. And this to me accentuates that is that we're showing off our power sets. Everyone's kind of even ish. Everyone's got a little bit on each other. Of course, they're going to kick the shit out of both of them, but yeah. at the same time, <laughs> it shows kind of this comparison. It gets the big three together. Did you guys like this scene? Of course you like this scene. How <laughs> could you not? It was crazy. This, this was so cool. You know, you get the introduction of Thor. He doesn't say a word at first. He just goes in there on the, on the helicopter or the jet, or whatever, and he just pulls Loki, takes him away. Iron Man wastes no time, guns after him, and then Cap joins in soon after. Yeah. The fight's awesome. We've all been waiting for these three to go at it. And, man, it's just, it's unreal. It holds up today, like, so yeah. well. Yeah, yeah, it's it's good. I love crazy. That each of them get a little bit on each other. Yeah, like one repulsor ray blast. Thor gets a few kicks in, right. and then you get that shield. Oh, oh yeah, and then with Loki and um, Thor having some dialogue, mm-hmm. and then Thor's waiting, or Loki's waiting for Thor to finish with his words, and Iron Man comes in and yeah. just swoops it, and, yeah. Thor, and Loki's just waiting like, and yeah, you know, yeah, love it. Yeah. And they give that little throwaway line about how Thor got onto Earth using the dark energy, whatever. I like little things like that because it's just a nod to the people that are keeping track of continuity and yes. saying, look, the Rainbow Bridge is gone and he had to conjure all of this dark energy or whatever to get Thor here to chase after Loki. And here we are. Yes. I, it's, 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 we're at a point now 
where the Avengers have, in air quotes, assembled. They're all in the same room. And this is when we get that that scene you referred to, Troy, that we all loved about them actually sitting around the table together, actually interacting with one another and not fighting. This is where we get Stark and Banner first interacting. Yes. And it's, it's great to see them going one-on-one with each other and allowing the dialogue to really show these characters interact. And it's Joss Whedon's dialogue again here that gets cracking and gets people interested and invested in what these characters and who these characters are i think beyond that it's great just to see them in a room together to see the big three to see widow to see colson and and fury and see them all sitting there like it's really cool it's it's awesome you know and this is um this is really cool because they play off this again going into age of ultron the the party scene when we get to see the avengers and everybody else that's joining them at that party scene and this is kind of exactly what happened in this film which it's just so cool to see the chemistry outside of war and it's it's just great i could do a whole movie of just them doing this stuff yeah yeah Yeah, you could just (laughs) hanging out right yeah yeah yeah. (laughs) one of the things here as as we progress through this film that's it's later revealed and we're going to talk a bit about now because they start to, to kind of investigate this as as a team if you will about fury having something else going on this this phase two and essentially it's weaponizing the tesseract something that hydra did in the past cap is not too happy about this stark and banner are on to him about this not really being a clean energy solution this is more about building weapons and this is a bit of a continuity strain that i want to point out here is that nick fury refers to thor as being the reason why they are building these weapons but now that we've got the announcement of Captain Marvel and the scrolls and Nick Fury's presence there, do you think that calls into question a bit here about they're you know, we're retconning things back to the nineties and we've got to be careful about what that means and what that implies for future events. This seems to be, or it's implied here at least, that this is Nick's, Nick Fury's first interaction with something bigger or something extraterrestrial in Thor. Right. But now we're getting something retconned back to the scrolls in the 1990s like why wouldn't he have immediately set this up why would he have blamed thor unless it was just of convenience at that point in time right yeah good, good point there actually i guess it's it could be a certain point of view maybe um nick fury now finally has the chance to do something about it true he could just be using thor as an example to to kind of say like he's the first of many that he's already experienced right or, or maybe we just don't know how far nick fury adventures out with captain marvel maybe he doesn't go that far out into yeah. space with her maybe which doesn't... you'd imagine he does yeah right but that, that's a good question i didn't even think about that until until you brought it up yeah that's a good point. i spend interesting. way too much time about <laughs> <laughs> yeah no that's really interesting you no know, going forward into a captain marvel i want to see how they handle that actually yeah they gotta be yeah, careful about walking do. around that because Again, it could just they could just retcon it as being that he didn't like you said he didn't have the ability to make these weapons so he couldn't. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, 1945 is when they got the tesseract. That's right. Or maybe yeah. he's a scroll. Yeah. Oh, so he is a scroll. <laughs> what, what do you think about that one? <laughs> yeah, I mean, maybe he's trying to keep it a secret though. I mean, because you don't see Captain Marvel appear from 1990 until now right they've got a little work to do yeah right so, so maybe maybe she's off world and maybe he doesn't know what's going on maybe he just trains her and then she leaves one day and he's like oh this girl just up and left and what's going on i don't know <laughs> i'll be disappointed if they don't include in um the 90s captain marvel at least one reference to friends Seinfeld and the internet being new. <laughs> it's, they'll have a lot of fun with it, oh, as yeah. they always do with those period pieces. <laughs> the other significant thing that happens in the scene, though, is that we get this argument starting 
amongst the heroes about phase two and this is where we get the challenge of captain american hulk or captain american iron man sorry and it seems to all be seated by loki scepter i always i never thought about this until we had the reveal of the mind stone in age of ultron but there's a line in here from captain america that says it's clear that or something along these lines it's clear that loki's scepter is is powered by the tesseract which turns out it's not really that it's a different infinity stone but i'm curious if they were thinking about this because it was a simple retcon or it was just really convenient writing that the stone in Loki's scepter controls people, controls the mind, right? He touches their chest, mm-hmm. they become his servants. And do you think that that was meant to be that way, that there was two infinity stones in this movie? Or do you think the Tesseract and the scepter were always meant to be something else? Because the Tesseract in the comic books isn't an infinity stone. It's not the space stone. Right. This is meant to be something right. completely different. Just some kind of power source of yeah. some sort, right? But do you think they always had this idea of Infinity Stones? Or do you think this is a convenient retcon later on as they kind of got into this idea about Thanos? And I guess he does show up in this movie. Right. right. But do you think it was always meant to be that way? I, I think so. Just because they did implement Thanos in the first place of this yeah. film. So I think they always had that gunning from the beginning that they were going to incorporate these Infinity Stones, whether it be two or one. I, I think they did. I think they yeah. must have. Oh, yeah, yeah. Because when you think of Thanos, what do you think of? The Infinity Gauntlet. Yeah. So, yeah, I think they did. Yeah, it's just it was kind of a weird point. Like yeah. I, I always felt like the the scepter was retconned into being an Infinity Stone, right? Okay. Because they didn't have enough time, or they didn't have enough movies to put them all in. Right. Of course they do, but yeah. I, it always felt like more of a retcon to me. Right. Because right. we didn't really find that out until Age of Ultron, which again is good writing, maybe. Especially because Loki's always been known to kind of manipulate people, anyway. Yeah. So you just kind of thought that was hand to hand with him, as opposed to it being its own separate Infinity Stone. Mm. And why would? Thanos give an Infinity Stone up to get another Infinity Stone. Right, which is the bigger question. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like, why would he relinquish one to get another exactly. just to lose both yeah, of them? Bad, <laughs> Maybe he didn't know it was there. Oh, he's Thanos. <laughs> <laughs> My boy knows it's there. <laughs> we talked about Loki getting a scene, kind of an interaction scene, a fight scene with every single character. And the one with Widow here on the helicarrier after Loki's let himself be caught is again another emotional one we see a lot of widow's back history explored in this brief moment of dialogue with loki and i really like it they reveal a lot of her painful memories in this her relationship to hawkeye so they do a lot of really quick character development with black widow while also progressing the narrative with loki about his true plan on the helicarrier which is later to revealed to be that he wants to release the hulk which mm-hmm. is this is the nod yeah. to the original avengers exactly. number one and i yeah freaking love this this is such a good scene i love their banter back and forth really well executed by tom hiddleston here he is that menacing villain that that well-developed villain that we continue to crave in the mcu that we just always don't get to yeah i think it's because we've had two movies or at least a movie with him before yeah and they just give him such good material to eat up and he as an actor that he is with his caliber he can just deliver it it's so good i I really do like what they do with that scene you know because the whole time black widow's playing him yeah which is so cool which is just something else to add to a repertoire of what she can do and and why she belongs on this team of avengers so um i love that like you mentioned i love the call back to like the original avengers with um loki manipulating hulk and that's that's his plan the whole time so that was really cool and man yes and all around it's a great scene love it yeah yeah (laughs) now one character we haven't talked much about here is hawkeye yeah and right. he enters into this movie in a big way with this helicarrier attack. This is our first big major 
action sequence, a big major fight sequence. Mm-hmm. And the thing that I like about Hawkeye throughout this whole movie is I think that him being one of Loki's cronies, mind control or not, is a nice nod back to his comic book origins, yes. where he was a villain that became a member of the Avengers in like Avengers number 16 or something right. like that, alongside Captain America. And I think it's really cool how they played that out. It's like, we don't get that time with Hawkeye that maybe we should have to appreciate him as a character. But I like that they've gone back to that comic book origin and made him little bit of a villain for the avengers up until we get to the final battle here it's a nice segue into the character yeah yeah no that is what more can i say about that that's pretty cool that they went that route and uh you know a lot of people complain too much that he was just brainwashed the whole time um but like you mentioned it kind of works that way because you kind of get to play off the fact that he originally was a villain for the first bit in the avengers i I can't remember if he came out of the circus or something another yeah i remember yeah the swordsman was like his mentor or something exactly yeah something like that right so it worked you know him and black widow were both villains at one yeah. point so um yeah it worked for me and and hawkeye you know really gets his, his respect at the end of the film with yep. what, he, what he's capable and then into age of ultron he gets really developed yeah yes. definitely, Again, yeah. the shortcomings of hawkeye in this film are picked up in the age of ultron yes yes, yes. and jeremy renner just carries his, his little yeah. bits of banter great actor awesome he yeah. really is yeah. yeah oh yeah yeah i had no idea he was actually a bad guy to begin with so yeah there you go. He came as like a reformed Avenger along with Quicksilver and Scarlet Witch. Right. Issue 16, I believe. I oh. think one day he even leads the Avengers at one point. I think he leads the West Coast Avengers. Leads the West Coast, okay. Yeah. Yeah. It's like the B-League team. It's like the <laughs> farm team. If Hawkeye's your leader. <laughs> West Coast Avengers with Ice Cube well, he... and Nate Dogg. <laughs> I'm more of an East Coast guy, Troy. So. Same. Same here. I'm all about that. <laughs> <laughs> It's in this battle, too, that we get to see the Hulk for the first time. Yes. And we spoke a bit about him, but what did you guys think of his dramatic change in appearance from the Incredible Hulk into the Avengers? He goes from this lean Hulk into this, what I think is the best Hulk they've ever put to screen. <laughs> well, there was a couple of runs, maybe 2013, I think, when him and Banner separated. He's pretty leaned out. But um, I think it's an indestructible Hulk. But I, I do like the appearance of him being leaned out. But my favorite appearance so far, actually, right now, is the one coming up in Thor. I think that's the best-looking Hulk we've had yeah, yeah. on screen. But this one's a little... He looks fine, but he's like a little chubbier. Like, he has oh, like, like some that. baby fat going on. Like <laughs> but Edward Norton's when he's just he's just ripped and he's, you know, he's in New York fighting Abomination. I, I think that one's awesome. He's a little more scary, too. I think but. he's so much more imposing in Avengers than he was. In, oh, okay, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah he's, but but the, obviously the the, the CG is a lot better in this one than oh, it yeah. was in the yeah. Edward Norton one. But I, I do like the the lean green fighting machine. He, uh. I think he's smaller in this, like taller wise. That makes no sense. <laughs> <He> <laughs> wise, I, I think like I think he is I'm getting tired. <laughs> so he scaled back some. I, yeah, because when you look at. Uh, Edward Norton's? Yeah, Edward Norton's. He's like huge. That one scene where he like throws the rock at the thunder or whatever. And then... There's uh, some problems with consistency and size in that film. Yeah, I think. Especially yeah. the the first one. Oh, uh, oh Hulk. my goodness. Yeah. That's yeah. Like the, uh, not even the Hulk. Yeah, and Lee's, yeah, that one. Like he, Sometimes he's like eight feet, sometimes he's six. Like yeah. it's, and he looks like an MS Paint job. Yeah. Like, it's just bright green. <laughs> just awful. <laughs> Uh, yeah. we should just net we should do like a director's commentary on that that one on oh, no, i don't oh, even want to watch i haven't watched that it. i haven't watched that one since i was in university yeah. been a hulk time. versus the weather yeah. Yeah. when he fights hulk the poodles the dogs. Yeah. <laughs> hulk dogs 
Why did they think that was a good movie? I don't know. <laughs> gotta do what you gotta do, though. <laughs> gotta keep those character rights. <laughs> yeah. See Fox in Fantastic Four. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> yeah, sorry. So, so you're saying with the Hulk's? Uh, I think yeah. I think like? he's shorter in this one. He's shorter. Okay. Yeah. Which one do you like better? Yeah. Which one do I like you're better? The tiebreaker yeah. here. I'm yeah. the tiebreaker here. <laughs> oh man, I like Ang Lee's Hulk. So oh, you, you guys are gonna have to vote. <laughs> vote on Twitter. Do you like MS Paint Hulk? Lean Hulk or Baby Fat Hulk? <laughs> Baby Fat. <laughs> oh, Hulk. But this this scene, this whole helicarry scene, it, it's a great battle. But to me, it's all about the Hulk. Yeah. It's all yeah. about the Hulk and disassembling the Avengers. You get some great sequences with, with Hulk and Thor, and their fight is awesome, especially when he's trying to pick up the hammer. Yeah. Oh, that was wow. so cool. Like, so cool. I was really struggling to pick that thing up. Yeah, well, he can. Yeah. He's yeah, worthy. He can't do it. Yeah. can't do it, right? And he won't yeah. stop. Yeah. The Cap and Iron Man are doing stuff in the background, but they're kind of just Cap's. This is the only point in the movie I, that I felt like they're like, "What did we do with Cap here? Yeah, we yeah. can't have him fight Hulk. Right. We can't let Hulk punch him. Yeah, so we're gonna have him like playing around an electrical circuit with Iron Man and <laughs> shooting a gun, which is yeah. like, okay, sure. <laughs> Let's use the guy from the 1940s to try use modern day yeah. technology. Yeah. It's good line though. It appears to run off some sort of electricity. Yeah. <laughs> <You're> not wrong. <laughs> Is that the one where he says he gets the reference? Is no, it, that was the, uh, the monkeys. Yeah, I love that one. Yeah, when he's like, I, I get that one. Yeah, yeah. I, I, yeah. I, I think it's one of my favorite parts. Yeah. I laughed out loud every time I saw that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> they even carry that through with like Winter Soldier. He has like the list of shit he needs to see. Yeah. yeah. Yes. Yes. Yeah. But we get our, our Avengers disassembled here. We get Hulk flying out through onto the jet, which is another great scene when he catches the pilot as wow. he tries to eject and then chucks yeah. him away. And one thing too that is kind of sad here that. Harry Dean Stanton, who's the one that finds Bruce Banner, the security guard, he just passed away. Oh, no. Oh, no. Yeah, a couple of weeks ago. So he's, he's a fairly famous actor. Yeah. And he had like this, I guess the part was actually expanded. If you go to the cutscenes, there's a little bit more of him there. Um, but he's the one that's saying, uh, are you some sort of alien and all that? Which is kind of Great. foreshadowing what we're going to get. And yeah. So, but yeah, he's an actor. Oh, but, shoot. Oh, no. Okay. Well, rest in peace. Yeah. yeah. Jeez. Sorry to bring this podcast down. But I was <laughs> kind of, when I was go, watching, I was like, oh, my God, there's... Harry Dean Stanton. Yeah. He's no longer. Wow. <laughs> but yeah, I loved all this Hulk stuff. It's, um, I think he looks fantastic. And like you said, Troy, we're going to get a whole mega sequence with him in the light here. And right. they spent a lot of money on this. Like you could see where the budget went. Yeah. It went to the helicarrier. It went to Iron Man and yes, it went to Hulk. That's definitely. where everything yeah. went for, yeah. as far as budget for CGI. <laughs> totally. And it shows, it shows that they spend the money on these things. Cause yes. it, usually you look at a film like this and because it's on the scale maybe, but you, you put the money into one of these three things right. and yeah. try to avoid. You could make reference to the helicarrier, but just have it float. Right. You know what I mean? Or So they took the time, the effort, and, and made these huge pieces. Like Iron Man, they, they got the vectors and all that for so they can maybe do that a bit easier. But at the same time, they put the money where it needed to be, and it really shows on the screen. Yeah, that's yeah. impressive. Um, I totally agree. It, the CGI budget definitely went to those three things because the one scene that I was like, we'll get to it later, but when Black Widow's on the Sky Skidoo, the Shatari like Sky oh, Skidoo, yeah, yeah, yeah you could. Is that looks a little green screen? Some of it, yeah, yeah. There's one other scene when they're fighting that you can see Cap is definitely CGI Cap. Okay, yeah, he's oh, like really? he like jumps up. It's when Iron Man is. We're getting a little ahead of ourselves here, but it doesn't matter. Um, it's when Iron Man is, he's kind of going through the, the, the streets and all that and right. shooting. Yeah. And then he, when he takes his repulsor ray and blasts it towards Cap's shield. Yeah. yeah. Cap is, I would say, 100% CGI. Right. 
Yeah. Because he's, he's his move his movements too fluid. Yeah. And it feels like it's just okay. We had this really cool scene here, yeah. and Iron Man's flipping around. Everyone's gonna be looking at Iron Man, not Cap, and yeah. But he, he it's a little video gamers. Yeah. Yeah. A hundred percent. Yeah. That. Definitely <laughs> nailed it in Civil War. Not so much in this one. No. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's nice foreshadow for Civil War though too. Yeah. yeah. Um, so at the end of all the sequence, the Avengers are disassembled. Here we got Thor, Hulk are gone. Uh, Widows in her having her moment with with the hulk and all that um she eventually does go and fight hawkeye but we get the death of phil colson here did you feel the emotional weight from this were you as connected to phil colson as i was throughout <laughs> the entirety of phase one was this the character that needed to die for the avengers to assemble do you think do you think fury was right in doing this i think so yeah that, that did work for me um i was i didn't see it coming i didn't think they're gonna kill this guy off and when right? they did yeah. i was like oh wow um yeah didn't see that coming at all. So it, it worked for me. I, I like that kind of, you know, force the Avengers to all kind of assemble and do their thing. So it worked, especially because he has so much history with this character from the beginning. Yeah. Right? So it made sense. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, he started in Iron Man 1 and mm-hmm. he's carried all the way through and now he's in Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. But yeah, he it was a hefty price to pay. He, you know, it would, it made more sense for him to go to bring the team together than if it was just some character that just showed up and this was their first movie. So I think, you know, I was sad to see him go because I would love to see him more throughout the movies. Just seeing him now with Ant-Man or with Dr. Strange would be some cool interaction, but maybe they'll bring him back to the movies. Yeah. You know, I could honestly say he plays like the, the uncle Ben moment for mm-hmm. the Avengers essentially right, yeah. right? Um, and I, I think going forward I'd like to see more of this I'm not saying I want to see everybody die but I do <laughs> want to see more things like this and spoiler alerts uh, Kyle don't listen to this if you're listening right now uh, Yondu Guardians yeah. of the Galaxy I, I do like seeing these kind of characters go and I, I really like Yondu but I, I, I like them to commit to that obviously they brought Carlson back in uh, the TV series yeah. but I would like to see them do more things like this and um, Quicksilver and Yondu yeah. and whatnot. Yeah. it puts stakes to the movie exactly because mm-hmm. at this point you're dealing with as I said gods and monsters and you get this in comic books too is that the stakes aren't there they've really changed that with Secret Empire but <laughs> um, <laughs> you need to have a death to, to make things matter yeah this death that I think was crucial and it needed to happen. I think Whedon was most pissed about it because this was Marvel Studios' idea and they made him do this. And Coulson, or Coulson, Joss Whedon is known for killing off main characters. He right. did it to Wash and Serenity and all this, right? So this is something that was a trope of, of Whedon, but this wasn't actually Whedon's idea. Right, <laughs> Interesting. okay. So, yeah. There's nothing more I hate is when they kill a character and then they bring him back. That just, oh, that just irks me. No, I'm just kidding. I was going to say, you love BBS. Yeah. <laughs> Superman. You don't know he's coming back. Batman yes. looks really different now. <laughs> <laughs> As we kind of get to the end here, we were driving towards the Battle of New York, the incident, the reference point in the MCU now, as we've called it. Uh, we get some really intense moments with Captain America and Iron Man after that about how we're not soldiers and how when Cap's kind of to console Tony and saying, is this the first time you've lost a soldier and all that? I really like that moment. Again, that's building that relationship, that somewhat antagonistic relationship between Iron Man and Captain America. And it's a real acknowledgement from Iron Man that although he projects this confidence in what he's doing, that he almost doesn't have that. He can't accept the fact that he failed and someone died because of it. So I think it's quite a revealing moment. And this goes again to why I think this is the best portrayal of Tony Stark, because you see so much progression in the character. He's walking around all cocky, and then all of a sudden he's very upset about the death of a character that at the start of the movie, he 
kind of was like, who's Phil Coulson? You know what? He has the most, or he's had the longest relationship with Phil Coulson. Mm-hmm. And although he pretends to not care about him, you see him coming on the helicarry with him being like, hey, I'll just fly out to Portland and we can go see the cellist or whatever and all yeah. that. Yeah. And so he really cared about this character and he takes that the hardest. And yeah. he, again, is one of the ones that drives together the Avengers at this point because of the death of Coulson. I, I agree. It's a great way to bring everything together and it really puts some emotion into the film as we drive towards what is Loki calls the war, the final battle. Yeah. So the last thing we're going to talk about here with the exception of the end credit scene is the war, the final battle, the instant, the battle of New York, the Chitauri invasion, whatever you want to call it, the origin story for the villain in yeah. Spider-Man homecoming. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> but in here, we get some of Tony's best dialogue and some of the most quotable dialogue in the history of the MCU, I think. This is when we're talking about the Earth's Mightiest Heroes type thing. We have a Hulk. If we can't protect the Earth, we'll damn sure avenge it. This interaction between Loki and Tony Stark, I absolutely love what they do here. And it really builds up and builds into this big battle we're going to get here. This is awesome. This this was so, so good. And again, it comes down to the, the, the writing in this film. The, the one-liners work. Not at all do I, is it ever cringe-worthy. You know, yeah. you, you always like everything they say. I was confused a little bit by the scene between Tony Stark and Loki because Tony Stark drinks, doesn't he? Yeah. He actually does drink. And I'm like, wait a second. I thought we went over this in Iron yeah. Man 2. Besides that, I, I love this scene so much uh, just for the fact that it covers... I think it's an issue of some sort in the Avengers when Iron Man had the extremist armor, but it was the bleeding edge armor where he dives out the window and yeah. then the suit comes on and that's right out of the pages, like completely out of the pages how they did that. I thought that was good. And again, you talking about uh, the budget, clearly a lot of the money went to that scene because we never had Iron Man do the kind of extremist stuff yet. Yeah. You know, even early on in this film, he's putting the helmet on as opposed to, you know, floating to him. Mm-hmm. So that was great. And just, yeah, the banter between him and Loki is fantastic. And then this sets the tone for the rest of the film getting into this battle. And it's at this point in the podcast where we're going to get into, let's tell our favorite parts about <laughs> this battle. Because it's a very lengthy sequence. It's Long. one of the longer ones in the history of the MCU. Yeah. And it's also, I think, probably the best action sequence we've ever gotten in the MCU, I think, or close to at least. This I, one... I can't think of anything. Uh, I go airport scenes still. Oh, yeah. I, love, yeah, I love the airport scenes. Good. Airport yeah, scenes, right. good. There's some good ones in Doctor Strange. Yeah, but yeah. the scale of this one. It's yeah. all yeah. It's the scale. The yeah. scale of this is... Unbelievable. This, yeah, I mean, this is billions of dollars in damage. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. But no one talks about that. Have you seen Homecoming? <laughs> 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 Everyone always brings it up with Man of Steel, but no one brings it up with the Avengers. I, I think they, 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 they pay their dues for this one. I think it's always Avengers and uh, Man of Steel that get, take the most heat for... Uh, you know, damage control. Yeah. The but film. like, I don't care because it's not real life, right? You know, like I'd rather see them have this final battle in New York than see him having it in like Alaska where they're, you know, the stakes are there. It's more urgent that they stop the matter. And it's cool seeing them fight like around the buildings and stuff. Like it's a, it's a neat setting, like an urban setting as opposed to like a field in Saskatchewan where they just like hit grain silos yeah and battle of new york just sounds much better than battle of alaska yeah right (laughs) i think again play the (laughs) the fanboy here um i think that the key difference between man of steel and the avengers is that man of steel was them use basically using it like a wrestling ring yeah (laughs) and the avengers had no choice they're fighting off an army of invading aliens that were trying to destroy the city that was the point of it so zod 
was fighting Superman, but he wasn't actively going out and trying to push down buildings, where the Chitari are. Yeah. And the Avengers are trying to prevent that. So it was just kind of, I think, I agree with you. It looks better. Yeah, <laughs> totally, right? Yeah. Like, you don't yeah. want to, like... And yeah. I'll even give you the start of Beaver's S from the reverse perspective. is pretty cool. Yeah. yeah. But at the same time, it doesn't really matter. Yeah. We, we must be up late. Tim just praised BVS. <laughs> I said it's pretty cool. <laughs> That's the, like, they should put that at the back of, like, the cover art for the DVD. Pretty cool. Tim, the nerd yeah. room. <laughs> like the first three minutes. Yeah. Pretty cool. Yeah. One star. <laughs> if any of my, like, quotes go on the back art of that any movie, I'm buying, like, eight copies and just giving everyone a copy. <laughs> Like Sanjay, it's cool. Pretty cool. <laughs> what are some of your other favorite scenes from this last battle? I love when Hulk saves um, Iron Tony, Man. Iron Man. Yeah. Um, I also like when Hulk, you know, when Cap's like Hulk smash and Hulk jumps up and does oh, this cool yeah. move where he yeah. like, you know, does this arm curl against the wall or against the building. And he That's, fling, uh, Yeah, when he jumps out there and he's yeah. flinging about in the city and just... Uh. You got the those spikes or whatever going in the air and he's like smacking the midair. Right. Like, yeah. The yeah. Hulk stuff in this awesome killer yeah, yeah. And he's fighting that big leviathan thing that's floating around and him yeah. and thor going right. back and forth on it and like tag teaming yeah, it that, yeah that's great even when he gives the big leviathan thing a punch yeah yeah and you just you see the impact yeah. there it's... did you like that that whole answer from mark or from bruce banner when he says here's my reason cap i'm always mad i like it yeah i'm always yeah. angry or whatever yeah, because, I, yeah I, I i think that that works you know yeah. in a nutshell yeah and again going into what you you mentioned about if you haven't seen the other films that kind of just ties everything together yeah right there. yeah totally yeah one of my favorite scenes is when captain america is like telling the cops what to do oh, yeah. and then yes. the cops like who put you in charge and then those two alien the two shatari <laughs> just drop and he just destroys them they're like all right so we need backup and <laughs> yeah. move down to yeah, 19th street yeah yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah i love that yeah. what did you think of the invading army the chachari how their look and kind of, they're just basic cannon fodder but yeah, yeah. i thought they were pretty cool i never saw them as a threat but i didn't need to see them in a, as a threat because as we said this is the first time we got to see like unfiltered the hulk just hulk out yeah and it, it could have been against anyone it could have been against the giant putties from suicide squad <laughs> it just had to be something that you could see hulk smash and it couldn't have been human no it had to be something like it could have been a robot even it just had to be something that if you watch like hundreds of them die, you don't like feel horrible Cannon about fodder. it. Yeah, 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 exactly. <laughs> yeah, you know what? This one works for the best for me out of all the other ones. Like Age of Ultron, I didn't like those drones at all. And no. obviously, I didn't like the Suicide Squad. Uh, Putties, this one worked the best because we got the invading factor. So I really felt the stakes were high. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, you know, going into like their, their leader, the leader seemed kind of imposing as well. Yeah, so, yeah. Yeah, so just, it just worked for me on a better scale than the other movies. Yeah. 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 And for me, too, it introduces a whole different element to the MCU at mm-hmm. this point. It introduces aliens. It introduces the cosmic end of it to a degree. Yes. And I really like that. It was, again, seeding that there's a lot more to this universe. But at the same time, here's our battle. Right. So again, yeah. it's, it's building up the narrative that goes into the MCU and seeds different things. But it's all still part of the same story. Which I absolutely love. Do they ever mention the Chitari in Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. or do we see them pop up there? Well, there's there's a few one-shots and the tech is mentioned, right? The tech is mentioned in um, Homecoming. Right, yeah, of course. Yeah, Yeah. and you get, there's, even in Guardians of the Galaxy, there's a Chitari that's in one of the The collectors. collectors. Oh, cool. So yeah, they're nodded to, I think, I wouldn't be surprised, or it'd be really cool if you saw them kind of wandering around um, in Ragnarok too. 
Oh yeah, just yeah. kind of because you see that there's the Planet Hulk cartoon that's got a bunch of references to things. Yeah, I'm hoping they do that in Ragnarok. The people yeah. sitting in the crowd, there's like a group of Chitari and cool. a, you know a group of whatever Skaharian guards and all yeah. that. And so just building into that that whole idea that, that this is the the cosmos and yeah, these are the different races and they're interacting and there's much bigger order outside of the Earth. How about this classic circle shot? where you have the Avengers coming oh. down. Every single team movie. I was looking for it in the Defenders when we reviewed that last <laughs> yeah. week. Yeah. I was. I wanted that that circle. Mo- that is such an epic moment. Like, legit for me, goosebumps yes. every time I see that. Like, I that's... If you could sum it up in one shot, it's that shot. For sure. And this is what I've been saying all along. And this isn't to, you know, throw shade at the DCU, but I feel like <laughs> this is what they've been missing the whole time is the epic factor. From the minute this battle begins, it's epic and when you get that camera spin it just caps it all off uh, no pun intended so um yeah it works for me we've seen it everywhere too now ever since right mm, yeah. um damn yeah it just looks so good just just wait for justice league yeah that's I all i, I can say do yeah. i hope he does it Maybe i mean yeah, yeah that scene worked i think so much better than in age of ultron yes i think seeing the first time this happened we've never seen it before you didn't see it in the x-men and that was kind of the only other team-up movie yeah fantastic four uh yeah i guess <laughs> i kind of blocked every fantastic yeah. four movie from my memory except for how cool silver surfer looks but yeah. uh until he falls off his board yeah <laughs> as we drive towards the end of this big battle here we got the avengers the, the, the music dims a bit you got the avengers starting to lose the chitauri are really getting at hulk and all this and then you have the world security council decides to fire a nuke at manhattan and this is where we get a pivotal moment in Iron Man's development where he goes into self-sacrifice. He calls Pepper Potts as he goes, which is why I like the scene at the start. And he ends up shoving this nuke up the ass of this portal, as I put it before. <laughs> and it, it makes contact with the mothership of the Chitauri. And we get a real Phantom Menace moment here where all the Chitauri, for whatever, I've never, ever been able to understand this as to why they all die. Right. When yeah. the ship blows up, they're they're organic beings. They should, like, they're not connected. <laughs> they're not droids or robots, no. right? Yeah. I, I n- this was a convenient way to end this battle and not have Chitari running all over the planet. Absolutely. Yeah. But that that was again the only thing about this battle that I didn't like was how it ended. I liked that Tony Stark fired the nuke up into the portal. That was cool. That yeah. made sense. And that was a self sacrifice that weighed into character development. That weighed into how you could end this invasion. But why they all die I, I, and what did they do with all the bodies <laughs> yeah <laughs> i don't i don't know i that's a good question maybe maybe they had like some sort of i always figured they had some sort of like uh something that the ship had maybe it was like a computer that was regulating maybe their breathing or their atmospheric uh pression from earth to the maybe. ship and maybe the mother ship dies because isn't that the same as Independence Day, where they blow up the ship and then all the aliens die? Well, they on blow Earth? up the mothership. No, because that's what I was gonna actually. It's funny you say that because I was gonna make a direct reference to this. Is that <laughs> in Resurrection or whatever it's called, they have them all in like prisons. Yeah. With the aliens and they're like cheering when the mothership and all that's coming back. That would be a cool scene to see later on. Is that they've got all these Shatari locked up? Oh, oh. that would be cool. Yeah. And then they just like peace out. We're no longer slaves or something. Yeah. yeah. Because there's the Shatari in. Guardians that's yeah. just kicking about. Yeah, so I don't know what's going on with their, their soldiers. Yeah, but yeah. okay, we'll, we'll use this as an excuse that yeah. there's some sort of breathing regulation. Yeah, yeah. I like yeah. That atmosphere yeah. or something like that. I like yeah. that. That yeah. makes sense. <laughs> the dew collapse awfully fast. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
Like they just fold. <laughs> yeah, it's like the noodle leg. They just blow up. <laughs> Speaking of uh, this being the most influential film, the swirling ring of trash around the sky that really took off in movies after Avengers Eight because Fantastic Four did it, Suicide Squad did it. Yeah, that became like the thing. It's the blue laser beam in the sky. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, I forgot Suicide Squad did that. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that movie. Yeah. <laughs> Oscar winner. <laughs> Which this one isn't for some reason. Didn't win? No, I don't think it's won anything. Should have won Best Film of the Year, obviously, 2012. <laughs> 2012, what did win? I don't know. It wasn't The Dark Knight Rises or Avengers. Oh, I don't yeah. know. Was that out? Maybe that was out before. Maybe. But this is definitely the most influential as opposed to anything the Oscars. Yeah. For sure. Yeah, I think in hindsight it's most influential, but at the time I don't know if it was considered to be as influential as it probably is now. Yeah. I think it should Five have been. Years on. I mean, you look at the movie Titanic... That one, because it was like such a huge hit, but it really wasn't the best movie that year. I don't think. This one here was like such a huge hit, broke box office records, and it's you look at the Rotten Tomato score, it's like in the high 90s, so critics love this, so I don't even know why this wasn't nominated. It's a, it's a snub for me. I don't know. I'd be tempted to go back and look and see what else won that year. You'd be surprised, I bet. I, I haven't checked it myself. But okay, I'm, I'm going to sure. Google it right now. All right, here we go. There you go. Here we go. <laughs> All right, guys. Well, we're getting to the end of this review. This is probably going to be our longest review until maybe we get to Age of Ultron. But this this whole battle ends with the Chitauri dying. We've got Iron Man being saved by Hulk. Yes. And waking up, asking, making sure no one's kissed him. And we get the Shorma reference, which is a toss-in scene later on. I think after... The, I think the story goes is when they did the premiere of Avengers, that's when they had them all together. So they went and filmed that scene after. Right. That, that's why Captain America, you can't see his face. He was filming Snowpiercer at the oh. time. And he had a beard and yes. he refused to shave it. Oh, yeah. mustache gate again. Yeah, so he's got his hand for that one scene. He's, he's got his head buried in his hand. Did you guys notice when Iron Man's flying around, he flies past a shawarma shop? Yeah, and it's the same shawarma shop they go into. I I, I love that continuity. Does, isn't yeah? Isn't there some reference weird reference to in uh, Homecoming? But it's like a Chitari church or something. Oh well, yeah, they do mention uh, the church. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. Was it Asgardian church? Or no, well, maybe the Korean. Yeah, the Korean Asgardian church. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. That was it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, this is one of my favorite MCU final battles. This stands up to what we've commented in the past about. The final battle not living up to the expectations. I think this one really stands up to that. This is by far the climax of the whole movie and the best action sequence, some of the best CG we've seen. And we get a good final battle with Loki too because we've got Hulk beating the shit out of him and you've got this great other Avengers Assemble moment where you have them facing off against Loki and him asking for the drink. So this movie, <laughs> this movie caps off, I think, perfectly. Were you disappointed though that we never got an Avengers Assemble? And when do you think that's actually going to come? Avengers Assemble, like the actual him them saying it. Oh yeah, that's right. We never did get that. Yeah. Still, we still haven't got it. Yeah, we still haven't. That's crazy. No, um, yeah, the end battle scene lived up hard. This this movie was fantastic. It's one of my favorite comic book movies of all time. Um, I I hope when we get um, Infinity War, we get the uh, Assemble Avengers Assemble. It's probably gonna be. For our Infinity War, yeah, like that. I, I hope yeah. so. I hope so. It'd be kind of cool if you hear like Spider-Man being like, "Can I do it? Can I do it?" And then like, "No," and then someone finally drops it. You know, just to kind of say that it's been around, we just never yeah. heard it. You know, yeah. Well, he, yeah. they tease it at end of it, Age of Ultron, right? He says, "Avengers," and then it cuts. Yes, yeah. yes, yeah. that's right. It's like yeah. the end of Fantastic Four, the remake, when no. they're trying to name the team. 
Oh, oh my god. <laughs> the worst. That was horrible. I actually forgot about that. Shoot. <laughs> I hate when they always do that. Like, just, just throw it in there. You know, like in Man of Steel when it's like, oh, I know, the S stands for super, and then, like, they cut her off. Yeah. Just call the characters a name. Like, yeah. Aquaman, just call him Aquaman. We're at a stage now where we as an audience don't really care. Like, yeah, like, does it seem out there? Yeah, but the whole thing is out there like the whole movie's out there so comic movie yeah, yeah let's but, own like, it like james gunn did it the best in guardians 2 when he just embraces the taser face and oh like, yeah, like, yeah i thought that was hilarious yeah, yeah. he could have changed the name to something else but he kept it and just beaked him about it yeah. i love that yeah, definitely <laughs> star lord too yeah exactly yeah. right <laughs> yeah <laughs> what do you guys think about the a being left on the tower i thought that was a great nod you see this being knocked off during the battle and then you yeah. get this zoom out of star tower with just the a Age of Ultron, it becomes Avengers Tower. It, that's so good. Perfect. So good. Perfect. Yeah. 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 yeah they classic. nailed it. And we get our Avengers disassembling here. And we're going to come back to this when we review Iron Man, Thor the Dark World and all that, is the idea that we have an Avengers team, but we don't have an established Avengers unit, I would say. And that's why I think going into the subsequent movies that I can justify the reason that they just don't call up and say Avengers Assemble, I gotta save the president or whatever. Right. I think at this point, the Avengers, and they reference this right at the end about they'll come together when we need them, when we need them most. And when we need them most sometimes isn't maybe in some of these events that we do have following on from the Avengers movie. Because that's always the biggest question is, why didn't you call Thor? Why didn't you call Hulk, Cap, whatever? So that's something that I want to keep in mind as we go forward into this retrospective, into these follow-on movies, is how the universe has changed now the Avengers have assembled and what that means for the individual solo movies. And if they're able to accomplish actually having a solo movie ever again that actually has the stakes and has the importance and is able to tell a personalized story without having to rely on this idea that there's a bigger team out there. So, gentlemen, we're coming to the end of this. Finally, we're two hours into it. One last thing to talk about here, end credit scene. Is this the best one of all time? Is this the best tease of all time with Thanos? Although people thought it was Hellboy. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so confused. Like, who's but this guy? In hindsight, this is probably one of the greatest teases of all time. I Ab- think. Absolutely. Nowadays, the teases don't really show us too much. You know, like the Homecoming one was funny with Captain America. But we didn't get, well, I guess we got Scorpion a little bit, but this is Thanos. This is huge. No one expected to see Thanos, and he just came out of nowhere. And the thing that I remember seeing is, okay, Thanos is the villain for Avengers 2. Mm-hmm. I didn't expect yes. him to carry on the thread for yeah. another five, six years. Yeah. I thought... 22 movies or 20-whatever movies? Yeah. yeah. For them to hold off on Thanos, because they could have just as easily put him in Avengers 2 and then use Ultron for Avengers 3. But right. it's smart that they kept him because now he's this this huge villain that's kind of seeding everything. And, you know, he's behind the scenes and he's cultivating these stones. So they really... Smart move because if they put him in Avengers 2, guaranteed Avengers 2 makes more money than it did with Ultron. But it wouldn't be as good as, you know, saving him for Avengers 3 or 4. Yeah, no, this this was incredible. I remember, again, like I said, I saw this movie like a week earlier, so I remember on Facebook, then everyone's like, you saw this movie? Yeah? And I'm like, listen, if you do anything, you got to wait to the very end, because yeah. this is unreal, you know? And everybody I saw the movie with, I said, we got to wait to the very end. You have to wait to the very end, because this is a big, big payoff factor. So I love what they did. I, I don't know, was Josh Brolin 
cast at no, this point. He I wasn't, right? So. That's, that's why so. he doesn't say anything. I can't remember. Yeah. It's Damien something. It's the guy that's actually playing Thanos at that point. So right. It's, it's different. Yeah. 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 But wow, that's just such a treat. That's yeah. huge. And I think I probably said this with everyone, but yeah. <laughs> I think it's the best tease of all time, at least yeah. in a comic book movie. And it's probably one of the best after credit sequences ever. This is this is what set the bar so high for this universe. That yeah. Yeah. There's just so much more than your grounded Iron Man. This We're talking cosmic here. And yeah. Thanos, big bad, and we're getting it. We're counting down towards it. We don't have that much more time. We're getting closer. It's within a year that we're going to get Avengers Infinity War here. And all in all, one last thing. Do you guys recommend Marvel's The Avengers? No. Avengers Assemble for our folks in the UK. No, hate it. Never <laughs> watch it. It's the worst movie. Made too much money. Of course. If, if you're getting into the superhero genre... And people always say like, oh, it's not, you know, it's a young genre. It's not that great. This is, and you're like, listen, buddy, you, if you want to see superhero genre done well, this is like one of the top three movies you would show someone who's new to the genre. This is a genre defining film. Uh, take a drink every time Sanjay says genre for the last five minutes. Uh, yeah, this is, this is up there with the Dark Knight. This is up there with Spider-Man 2. This is one of the top, if they're doing a Mount Rushmore of comic book movies, this would be up there. This is unreal. I give this like five helicarriers out of five. <laughs> love this film so much. It's, it's a must-see if you, if you love comic books. If you don't love comic books, you have to see this. I mean, it has, you know, the world's best heroes all together. It's the best team-up film for sure. And so much comes out of this. And I mentioned it before. This is like the blueprint, I feel, for superhero films going forward. And I just can't give it enough praise. This is incredible, this film. It still holds up today. I will say this, though. Best team-up film, I think I'd still have to say Days of Future Past. No, really? Way. Yeah. Better than this? Yeah. Days of Future... Days of Future it, Past. Half of the film is just Wolverine. <laughs> <laughs> I, I guess... I, I don't know. Like I love. I got to see that movie again. I love that film, though. Yeah. Yes, you do have to see it again. <laughs> because team-up film, definitely it's between those two for the best one. Not like, Bad Boys? Well, yeah. Superhero. Superhero team-up. <laughs> no, yeah. That's that's interesting. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Days of Future... I love that film, too. But. I like maybe, that. Maybe X-Men Apocalypse? No, I'm just kidding. Well, <laughs> All right, Tim, do you, this is a burning question. Everyone is dying to know. Does Tim recommend Avengers? Of course I do. I just spent two hours gushing over the movie. Yeah, this is, this is it. This is the pinnacle of comic book filmmaking. Um, this is what they were driving towards. They nailed it. They accomplished it. They made this universe not only critically successful, financially successful, but it really provided that solid foundation. It gave them something to leap off of and it gave them something to drive towards with Thanos. The character development here is unreal. The CG, everything looks fantastic. The writing, we've come back to this so many times in this episode. It is so well done. Joss Whedon is a magician here. He does lose some of that going forward, but this here is one of the best comic book movies of all time. It's definitely probably in my top three at yep. least. It's, it's incredible. So, yeah, recommend. Full three recommends from the nerd room here. No surprise there if you listen to this whole podcast. I don't think we really had much grapes other than no. the cap suit. Right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's about it. That's about it. Yeah. yeah. But we've got a lot of time here. we got to get out of here. It's been a long podcast, our longest ever, I think. Ooh. But very deserving for a movie of this caliber. Yeah. And we're going to be coming back to you guys hopefully sooner rather than later with Iron Man 3. And we're going to catch uh, back up 
we will be catching back up to our, our month of release promise here. We're finally sorting and finally getting back into a routine here. We're able to properly put these out but we will have the iron man 3 and thor the dark world out before ragnarok drops on november 3rd we've made a promise so that we're going to get a prelude episode out for thor ragnarok as well as the thor the dark world review so we'll have thor and thor the dark world to, to you can listen to before going into ragnarok here so we will be returning sooner rather than later i don't want to put a time on it because i don't know exactly <laughs> when we get back together to record iron man 3 but they're all but they'll both be done before ragnarok comes out i can make that promise so we'll go from one of our most positive reviews the avengers to probably two of our least positive reviews we'll ever gonna get it's very likely within the mcu at least yeah at least yeah got justice link coming up <laughs> Three people apparently said it was good because they had a screening yesterday. So I'm just throwing it out there. Uh, <laughs> I remember they said the same thing about BBS. The they, same thing. They were right. <laughs> All right, guys. If you'd like to be part of the retrospective series, you can always email us at thenerdrm at gmail.com. You can grab us on Twitter. Our handles, like always, are at the end of the episode. You can hit us up on our Facebook, our YouTube pages, or you can head over to our website, the W. I always say www.thenerdroom.net. <laughs> he was born in the 80s, people. He still says HTTP say colon backslash backslash. It's thenerdroom.net. You can hit us up there. You can contact us through the contact page, and you can check out some of the articles that we throw up there once in a while. We throw up some MCU articles, giving out some theories, phase four stuff. We did a podcast a couple weeks ago speculating on what we're going to see going forward in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. And make sure to always return every Thursday for The Nerd Room, our main podcast, where we talk all things comic books and movies. All right, gentlemen, this has been a hell of a time. I love talking MCU. I love doing these retrospective episodes. Can't wait to get into Iron Man 3. Cannot wait to get to Avengers Infinity War as we drive towards that with this retrospective series. So until next time for The Nerd Room MCU retrospective series, I'm Tim. I'm Troy. And I'm Trevor. I'm an actor. <laughs> oh, sorry. I'll say that for next week. Foreshadowing. <laughs> I'm Sanjay. And thank you for joining us here at the retrospective table. Avengers, <laughs> this has been a Nerd Room Podcast production. You can find our hosts, Tim, Troy, and Sanjay on Twitter at TheNerdRM, TroyTheBoy87, and Sanjabi. For more content from The Nerd Room, check out TheNerdRoom.net. And don't forget to subscribe to The Nerd Room on iTunes, Podbean, and YouTube. Be sure to head over to StarWarsCommonwealth.com to find more podcasts in the Star Wars Commonwealth Podcast Network, including Talk Star Wars, Tumbling Saber, Generation X-Wing, Rogue Squadron Podcast, Skyrim's Podcast, and San Diego Sabers. Follow the Star Wars Commonwealth on Twitter at SW Commonwealth and take your first steps into a larger world.